This is Ray Anthony Hyde, creator of Midnight Tiger from Action Lab. You're listening to Top 5 Comic Round. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Master of Disaster, Josh45. What is up? And CBS. Which would be me. And the captain, because he decided to climb up here on the desk and cause problems. Fantastic. He's always so bitey. Always so bitey. My guy. <laughs> uh, so today we're doing uh, episode number 167. So the books we have for you today are going to be uh, Daredevil number 30 from Marvel Comics. This is the 2021 run. Uh, we're going over Vinyl, number one, from Image Comics, and Batman Reptilian, number one, from DC Comics. Uh, then we also have a special treat for you, um, to the boys from Barbaric, uh, from Vault Comics, which comes out here this coming week. Uh, Michael Morrissey and uh, Nathan Gooden were uh, nice enough to hang out and chit-chat on the phone a little bit, so we got an interview for you with, with, with them. Uh, their book's coming out, I want to say this coming week, actually. So uh, definitely check it out and take a look for it, but yeah. So we'll run that towards the end of the inter- towards the end of the episode. Um, before that, do we have any news, Josh? Just a tidbit. <clears throat> What's in the news? What's in the news? Beep 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 beep. So the first thing I have is Seth MacFarlane is working on a Naked Gun reboot that will star Liam Neeson. That is fantastic. And like Liam Neeson's super on board about it, and he hopes that Seth MacFarlane will actually direct it as well, not just write it. Well, I mean, as far as humor is concerned, I mean, a, a family guy coming back from the dead so many times, an American dad or any I mean, inclination of anything, then uh, that's not how you use that word. If they're not an example of anything, that's the word I wanted. Then, I mean, the dude, he's funny. And well, as far I mean, as, well, he did A Million Ways to Die in the West. He did. And a lot of people hate it. I thought it was funny to me personally. The fact that he, I mean, he must have made a good impression on him when they did A Million Ways to Die in the West or... Because otherwise, you probably won't be talking about it. Because you know, because they worked together on that film, so he must have like made a big, good enough impression to do the like a Naked Gun reboot, which he's got big shoes to fill. Well, I mean, Leslie Nelson, that's a that's a huge thing. But I mean, as far as Neeson's concerned, I mean, he did a great Hannibal in A Team. So I mean, it's just a A Team with a funny twist, I guess. Mm, yeah. maybe, maybe Hannibal with a funny twist. I don't know. I like that idea a lot, actually. Um, and speaking of reboots, Zac Efron is currently filming and working on the new Firestarter film, and Stephen King has read the script and seen early screenshots and things and is a huge supporter of it, and in the past, Stephen King has not been shy about saying how much he hates film adaptions to his, his writings, and but the fact that he's giving this his endorsement may be a good thing. And we've seen Zac Efron over the, uh, over the last few years be able to do some, like, more serious roles, and he's been pretty good at them. So, sure. As far as an actor, I mean, he's got handfuls of both. Of them. I mean, comedy stuff and serious stuff. So, all right, that's cool. As we'll see what that really means, as far as the Firestar is concerned. Uh, we've got a little piece of news from Dynamite. So, Dynamite Comics has announced that uh, Mariko and Dolfo, um, lady who brought us uh, Misery and uh, Unnatural and Unsacred, whole batch of different books, is going to be heading. 
are taking the helm over on a new, ongoing Red Sonja series. And with her on the title, um, co-writing is going to be Luca, Luca Blangino, and the artist on it is going to be Giuseppe Caffaro. So uh, as far as the thing, I assume that she'll probably have a batch of covers as well, because, I mean, Marika does lots of art stuff, too. So uh, I think that'll be cool. I mean, all three of those names are good good people. I mean, Adolfo's a decent writer, and as far as, like, uh, art's concerned, um, Giuseppe did a lot. He's done a lot of Spider-Man stuff. He's done a lot of indie stuff. He's awesome. So I think that's really cool. I guess we'll see what, I mean, what they mean by ongoing. I mean, series-wise, usually most of the Red Sonja series are running around 25 issues, which I guess that's a pretty good run, right? A couple of years. So I think they'll be cool. Um, she's also got another book coming out from Image called, uh, Sweet Paprika, which, uh, she's doing the art for and writing, and it is actually getting turned into a, uh, Netflix show. So animated. So that should be pretty cool. I mean, as far as talent, I mean, she's awesome. Uh, if you haven't read Misery, it's great. Um, Unnatural, I mean, it's a little weird content-wise, but it, it's still good. So, I think that'll be cool. We need to see what she does for Thor Sonya. Um, the last little thing I have, <clears throat> the Abomination is set to make his big screen, big screen return in, um, Shang-Chi. Oh, alright. That's crazy. We haven't seen him since, uh, obviously Hulk? the Hulk film. Yeah. Wait, is it the same guy reprising the role? Do we know that yet? It didn't say. Okay. I mean, that's cool. Um, I'm kind of surprised when he get a little bit of Blon- Blonsky in at least one of the movies where they showed the raft. I mean, even a name card would have been cool. But it's cool they're going to bring him back in as an actual thing. I mean, that's awesome. Have Shang-Chi basically fighting the Hulk. I'm not really yeah, how that's going to connect, but... Yeah, don't know. I mean, it's cool we're getting a name drop of him, at least. That's neat. Yeah, I didn't really have anything else news-wise, either. I mean, uh, last week, I think, in one of the books to watch, we mentioned the uh, Batman 90... or the Batman 89 happening. Or maybe that was in news a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to mention it one more time, just because the order's going in for it this week. So, uh... What we've got going on is DC's doing two different series. They're doing Batman 89, which is set to basically act as a third act for the Tim Burton Batman franchise. Uh, story-wise, it's a six-part miniseries. It's going to be drawn to look like the actors. Uh, Storyline, basically we've had Gotham go crazy after the death of the Joker and all the other chaos. So we've got people dressed up like Batman doing things and people dressed up like the Joker trashing things. And in order to try to stop it, Harvey uh, Dent, um, Lando Calrissian, has uh, decided that the thing to aim at to get rid of the problem, of course, is the Batman. And he's going to use help from his buddy Bruce Wayne to do it. And I think that's awesome. Uh, the first cover for the, the regular A cover looks amazing. Uh, so as a thing, I think that'll be fantastic just because of what it is and where it fits. Uh, they're also going to be following suit with another series for uh, Superman. That's Superman 78. That's a lot of S's. That's going to be real hard on your ears. I'm sorry about that. My S's are sharp. Uh, but it is the same kind of idea. So it fits in the Christopher Reeves franchise of movies as another add-in story-wise. Uh, same deal. Six issues uh, designed to look like and be shaped as as though it was part of the Richard Donner world. So uh, basically movie three, Richard Donner style. I think that's cool, too. Yeah. So like as far as things... If you dig either of those franchises from those days, or you're a, if you're a Tim Burton kid, that I would definitely say check it out. The couple of test pages of art look cool, and like I said, that A cover is just awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, that's all I really got for news. All right, so we'll move into books. 
just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Uh, we're going to start with the Daredevil number 30. And this is uh, written by Chip Zartsky, uh, recently nominated for a bunch of Eisner Awards, which is awesome, including for this particular series. Uh, with the artist on it as uh, Marco Cicchetto and Mike Hawthorne, both fantastic. Uh, as far as art's concerned, yeah, Cicchetto can't get enough. He's just fantastic. Uh, as far as storyline, so what we've got going on, this is part two in a, in a uh, current story arc. As far as the title, the title of the story arc is Doing Time. So when we first open up, we've got uh, the inside of a law office, things being rearranged, unboxed, boxed, and put back into order. And we've got Butch on the phone. He's uh, taking a phone call from... Uh, at this point, we, we find out pretty soon it's Electra who he's talking to, but... Uh, and in walks uh, what looks to be Matt Murdock. And uh, as he's walking around, he's like, Oh, yeah, everything's looking great in the office. We should really get some of the, some of the pictures hung up over there. And Butch turns to him and he's like, Dude, at least pretend to be blind, Mike. And so, because of what's going on, we've had Mike um, stand in as Matt, so Daredevil's twin brother, which does have a bag of questions with it that I don't entirely know all the answers to right now. I don't know if anybody does, to be honest. But as far as a thing, he's currently standing in as Matt Murdock because Daredevil is currently in jail. Serving as Daredevil, not as Matt Murdock. Masking everything. Uh, it, anyway, so the two of them talk for a minute, and uh, Butch is like, you know, I really hope that your meeting goes well, because you got to pull this off and make, make it believable so you, people believe you're actually Matt. And uh, Mike is not the same, like, style-wise as Matt, like, at all. Uh, we cut from there to a uh, hospital bed, and uh, in the hospital bed we have Daredevil, Matt Murdock. And he's in ha- hospital gear, and we learn pretty quickly that he's recovering from getting stabbed when he, in prison, because um, he can't just stay out of fights. And uh, the nurse is in there talking to him, she's like, you just have to start trying to be careful. Like, I- I've been waiting for you to wake up just to make sure you're all right. And uh, he's like, well, I'll try to remember that for next time. The being stabbed is not the best thing to do. And uh, about that time, we wind up have fo- having Foggy show up. Foggy's like, you dummy. You, why do you keep doing what you're doing? You, you're being such a dummy. And, uh, of course, you know, Matt takes that with a grain of salt. And we wind up uh, introducing Cole, uh, who's uh, another fellow who's been running around with uh, Foggy trying to figure out a way to get Matt out of jail and lean on the DA to try to get help for that to be a thing. Anyhow, so the, the group of them start talking, and uh, we're going over like what their next step and plans are, and Matt's just like, no, man, I just want to, you know, I want to serve my time. And Foggy tells him, well, they're wanting some information that you can give them. If you help them with these affairs, then uh, they'll take time off your sentence. Of course, Matt's like, well, I'll give them the information they want, I did, but I'm going to take my time and do my time. So he's decided at this point that he's, he's going to try to suffer out all the time in prison that he's been sentenced for his crimes, which is, I mean, it's admirable, but it's a little crazy, right? Just as a thing. So while they're talking, Cole winds up introducing another lady that they bring with them. This is uh, Agent Kashabi, and uh, she's from the FBI, and uh, they're wanting what they're wanting Matt to do is basically collect information on the uh, how the prison is being run. Uh, as it turns out, this particular prison is run by uh, a dude named uh, David Danvers. And uh, he's a real estate tycoon that has his hands in a bunch of different pots. What they're trying to find proof on is that what he's been using the prison for is for basically cheap labor. And exploiting the criminals inside, using them to dig gra- graveyards and 
all kinds of different, like, nefarious kind of things. And Matt's like, yeah, sure, I'll do whatever it is you want. And Foggy's like, well, we need to negotiate, Matt. He tells him, no, you know, whatever, whatever I can do to help is fine. Because, again, he just wants to serve his time. And while that is weird, it's like he's got that in his head, this is his penance. But Daredevil's all about making penance. So, I mean, it makes sense. From there, we jump to the top of rooftops. And we've got this little girl running, um, I don't know, dressed in a black sort of ninja outfit. No mask. And we got this whole inner monologue going on. And we learn this is Alice. Um, Alice is a girl that um, Electra took in a couple issues back to... I don't know, basically shepherd and train. So think like, uh, I don't know, kind of like Batman and Robin, I guess. Kind of. And the inner monologue we got going on is Electra, and she's uh, in the process of trying to teach Alice how to jump between buildings and basically just having her follow her and train with his staff to be able to defend herself and take care of herself. And uh, while the dialogue is going on, like she's talking to Alice and tells her, you know, how she's got to be quicker and it needs to be quiet like a mouse because if, if they don't hear you coming, it's a lot better and it's a lot safer. And uh, she sweeps her and knocks her down and takes takes away the staff from her. She's like, "Oh, I almost got to you." And uh, Electra just kind of like playfully playfully messes with her and then uh, takes a phone call. This is where we find out she's talking to the the dude back at the office. And uh, her inner monologue goes on a little longer, and then she's like, "Yeah, but the the problem is, I'm not Alice is not me." Because this whole time she's been basically comparing herself to the young girl and like how she started and how Alice is in a similar place she was when she was a kid, except there was no one to look out for her. So interesting, like comparison. Uh, from there, we cut to an entirely different place. Uh, we join uh, Wilson Fisk, who's getting ready to throw dinner for one typhoid Mary. Depending on how much you know about their past, the two of them do not get along. And uh, they've both done, I mean, messed up stuff to each other. Typhoid. When she first comes in, she talks to him about how it, the pleasantries aren't really necessary, depending on what they're trying to do. And Wilson basically is trying to convince her to work with him. And uh, that's what the whole dinner is about. And they go over how the two of them never really got along. And so there's it's a, it's a conversation about him basically trying to sway her to work with him. Um, and it's almost set romantically, because like, the way that everything's done up is like, I don't know, Moon Knight dinner kind of thing. Then from there we chase forward and uh, now it's evening and we are outside of a uh, we're, we're outside of like a warehouse but set up like a club so we got two bouncer guys and a line of people and the dude at the front of the line is like oh I swear I'm on the list trying to get the guys to let him in next to the line all of a sudden we see Daredevil Electra with her new sidekick Robin which is Alice of course Alice has her hood on and her mask up and Electra's in full Daredevil gear and as she's walking past everyone they're like Sort of freaking out because, I mean, it's Hell's Kitchen. Here's this new daredevil that is new on the scene. And she gets up to the front of the line and she starts, she, she starts talking to the bouncer guy and he's like, uh, so what can I do for you, daredevil? And she's like, well, you're going to let us in. And he's like, why did I do that? And she goes, because I own the building. And my name is, Ele- is Electra Nachos. And she pulls back her, the little scarf she wears to show her face. And uh, the bouncer guy's like, uh, are you supposed to show us that? And she's like, well, my name brings fear. So get out of the way. And uh, they basically just let her and the, the little girl into the club without any like questions at all. Because, I mean, Electra, hire assassin. Uh, depending on what ground you run in. Yeah, that's terrifying. So we go in the club, and of course there's people in there dancing. And there's crazy flashing lights and like little, 
don't know, like little starlight things sort of floating around. It's pretty, I mean, I don't know, it's inside of a club. And uh, Electra tells uh, Alice to move quietly, stay close to me, but do not get spotted. And uh, as she walks through the club, she gives her a couple more orders, and we get some more inner monologue from Electra. What Electra's there to do is she's there to shake down this new uh, drug lord guy who's working in the, in the uh, kitchen, Hell's Kitchen. And uh, she made the building cheap enough to rent that night to throw the party in order to lure him in. So it's a whole, like, sort of setup for her to get this meeting with him. And uh, as she's walking through the club, we get, you know, there's there's a lot of inner monologue going on, which is really pretty cool. I mean, the writing is great. So uh, this is abridged, what I'm giving you, um, just so you know. Of course, the the uh, new kingpin has a few bouncer types with him, and they attempt to stop uh, Miss Nachos, which does not go well for them. And then eventually he just waves waves her over and tells them, "Yeah, I'll let her in. That's all. You know, let her let her come up and talk to me." And so uh, as they go in, they start talking. He tells her that his his name is Butch, and he's like, uh, "What should I call you, Daredevil, Lady Daredevil?" And she's like, "Daredevil's fine." And he's like, "You've been a real problem for me, Daredevil." But also that kind of works out as a gift because uh, you made a living so cheap here that all the people that are renting from your buildings have more money to spend, so they have more money to buy my drugs and more money to come to my parties. So even with you causing problems, all the other stuff you've done has made my job a lot easier. And it basically makes light of like what she's been doing to try to fix things it has only made it easier for him to destroy things. And she tells him that uh, that he's that she she's going to put an end to what he's doing, and that he's done destroying people's lives. He's like, ah, forget it. People have people have freedom of choice. They're making their own choices. I just provide services, and now again do them at a reasonable price. And eventually, like between the conversation, it goes more south for him as she puts down the, more of the rules of what the law is going to be like and how she's going to end what he's doing, which. By the time we get to the end of the conversation, he basically calls a thug to mess her up. And out of nowhere, this dude in a full-on, like, Jason hockey mask, with full-on, so- like, sword, jumps out and, like, attacks her. And we get the fight sequence here. And, uh, it, I mean, it doesn't go just one-sided. I mean, Electra, if, if you don't know, has uh, changed her size to not have pointed tips anymore. They are flat tips because she's taken to the Daredevil moniker that she is not going to kill. So her whole trying to live up to Daredevil's, I don't know, I guess his uh, rules, has also changed the way she uses her weapons and what she carries. Because uh, normally she just stabs this dude to death, and that's not an option because they are not built to go through people. Well, Daredevil doesn't kill. Well, he doesn't. That's the whole reason she's doing what she's doing. So it, we have the fight sequence go on. It's, pr- it's pretty even-based. I mean... She takes as many shots as she gives and manages to keep herself from getting messed up. And as she's beating this dude up, we see that his eyes, they're not regular, like, eyes inside. They're full on just red. There's no pupils. They're just, like, blood red. Um, anyway, during the fight, well, of course, Alice becomes aware of it. And Electra loses one of her sides, which makes it look a little more one-sided. As this is going on, of course, the people in the club start freaking out and... At one point, uh, Butch tells, uh, tells Electra that they're all gonna remember you for being the one that ruined their party. And, uh, as the people flee, well, of course, Alice is sort of trapped inside of it, and, uh, gets noticed by one of the, uh, guards. And, of course, the guard's like, what are you doing here, kid? And, uh, she got her staff out, so he, uh, basically turns to her, he's like, I really don't want to hurt you, but if I have to, I will. And she's like, faces off against him to try to stop him, and the dude just smacks her around. 
From there, we go back to the fight, and uh, Electra is now moved to using fists and feet, and uh, disarm the dude's sword. Fight-wise, I mean, it's still pretty even-based, and uh, as it goes on, we get an intermix of panels between her and Alice. Alice dealing with the uh, the uh, security guard with the gun, and uh, Electra dealing with Jason. Eventually, Electra does turn her side and stab Jason in the chest, and she realizes it doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot, and uh, he backhands her and just starts whooping her. Whereas that's going on, Alice disarms our uh, security guard, hits him with a stick, takes his gun from him, basically t- knocks him out, and uh, next thing you know, Electra takes a few more shots, and Jason's got her by her scruff, like holding her up by the band- her bandana around her neck. And uh, it looks very detrimental. I mean, Electra's got blood coming from her mouth. I mean, he got some good shots. Well, about that time, we cut to a, like a widespread shot, and we see a gun noise go off, so bang. And uh, we pull back to see that Alice, after she disarmed the guard, took his gun. And in order to try to protect Electra, she shot Jason. And uh, I mean, the kid gets overwhelmed with, with emotion from it and kind of like passes out. Well, Electric catches her, comes around to her, and starts looking for the uh, the body of Jason. And as we see, Jason's body has dissolved into green smoke. So he wasn't really real at all. And uh, Electric just whispers under her voice, the hand. Oh no, the hand. Uh, from there, we make a direct cut back over to Matt being escorted from uh, the hospital back to his prison cell. And waiting for him in the uh, transport is Cole. And Cole tries to convince him again to do... I mean, make other choices, and that if he works on the inside, he really needs to use that to his advantage. Um, from there, we jump to the kingpin. This is the next day entirely. And he's in the middle during a workout, you know, bench pressing tons of weight, and he's got his trainer in there, and the two of them are having a conversation, and, and Wilson uh, makes light of him being a trainer. Did you always plan to just go to people's fancy rich houses and smell them sweat all day? Is that what your main goal was in life? So he like basically shames the dude, and it's like it's an interesting conversation. It's not overly aggressive, but it's very uh, I don't know the, the way the kingpin just sort of dismisses everyone and puts them in their place. As this is going on, we have a, a butler type show up who's got a cell phone who tells him that he's got a call from Mister Fix and he needs to take it now. And Wilson's initially like, "Well, who's calling me? What difference does that make?" And he tells him, "Well, it's a call from Ravencroft, sir. You 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 have to take this call." Um, once Wilson answers the phone call, we get a reveal that on the other end, um, it's not a doctor. It is a call coming from Ravencroft, the insane asylum. But uh, it turns out that uh, the person on the phone is uh, Bullseye. And he is, based, best we can tell, murdered a whole room full of doctors, basically using a ballpoint pen. And now he's decided to call the kingpin to let him know that he's out, and uh, he's crazier than ever. Uh, the whole reason that he was in Ravencroft in the first place is that uh, Wilson, being the mayor of New York at this point, um, had got him admitted there to uh, try to, ch- I don't know, basically work control on him. And Daredevil, and of course, the, during all this, the whole reason Daredevil is probably being allowed to be Daredevil in prison is also at the hands of Wilson Fisk as the mayor. So there's a lot of things he's been pulling behind the scenes, dealing with the insane asylum and whatnot. Um, but Bullseye's not real happy about being tried to be tuned into anybody's tool. And, uh, yeah, he's making notice that uh, he's uh, going to be out doing things. Which, of course, does not make Wilson happy uh, as he throws the uh, the one of the weights that he was lifting just now through the windows. And um, then we get a cool cut to what cover 31's going to look like, which is uh, an awesome, like, 
back shot of, I assume Daredevil walking with angel wings and he's got a mask in one hand that's the yellow mask and a mask in the other hand that's the red mask. So he's got his prison mask in one hand and he's, well, it's not yellow, it's orange. His prison mask in one hand and his regular red mask in another hand and, uh, just like walking into the light. So it's very, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very picturesque. And of course, uh, both the masks are dripping with blood. So, uh, the next cover of nothing else will be amazing because it looks so good. As far as story, I mean, it's been a great series. It's, it's interesting. We have a lot of cool things happening. This whole, uh, that, that's where the book wraps, just in case I missed that step. This whole thing with Electra basically taking the mantle of Daredevil is awesome. And I, I know we did it. I think we did a review of one of the books previous to this, or maybe I mentioned it on the show or something. I can't totally remember. I feel like we did something recently with this book, uh, where we learned about her becoming Daredevil in the first place. And uh, part of what's going on, just as a backstory piece, she has found what the secret to destroying the hand is supposed to be. And unfortunately, it takes two parties to do it. And uh, one of the parties is supposed to be the leader of, I guess, like the hand side of things. And uh, basically what it comes down to is that in order to fulfill the prophecy, both Elektra and Daredevil will have to try to destroy the hand, and one of them will fall and die during the conflict. So uh, maybe this whole angel scene is a little more, uh, little more than what the cover leads on to be. So I guess we'll see. I mean, as far as series is, again, it's been fantastic. Like, Darsky's been killing it over there. Like, it's been so good. Um, it, from the go to now, and we're already 30 issues in, it's been awesome. Uh, again, it's been nominated for a bunch of awards this, this current season with the, uh, Eisners, and it totally deserves it. It's been great. So if you've ever been in the Daredevil stuff at all, I mean, I would, I would definitely suggest going back to at least number 25 when we have the costume change happen and the whole Electra thing happens, because it's awesome. Uh, score-wise, I mean, I give, I give it a four. It's a really strong book. Like, as, I, I can't say enough about Chichetto's art. Because the dude is just amazing. Like, he's so good. And, uh, like, writing, it's entertaining. I mean, yeah, this is the second step to a, this particular arc. So there's a couple holes in there for what's happening, just because of where we're at in the story. But uh, there is a pretty good three-sentence write-up at the beginning that gives you the pieces that matter. So if you were to start here, you'd be okay. Fantastic. Score-wise, I give it a four. Uh, Josh, what do you know about the uh, Daredevil? I haven't read Daredevil for ages, so I wasn't sure really what was going on. But like, um, what I can say, the art was fantastic. I like Elektra as Daredevil. Like her, Dare- she looks really rad. Is that like, you know, some people might, you know, chastise me and talk trash about the fact that I think I, through the years I always thought that like Elektra's costume is kind of dumb. You know, just like. If she's going to be like a world-class assassin, like, I don't know, it just kind of seems like, eh, whatever. But like, you know, even if she becomes not Daredevil after a while and she like continues like a similar looking style for her costume, I think that'd be rad. For um, sure. Like, she just, awesome. she looks really cool and like having to like p- pull her punches and not like kill people is kind of a cool idea. And, uh, but like, you know, I knew Fisk was the mayor. I knew that that had been a thing kind of for a while, but, um, yeah, there's just a lot that I, like, you know, like, the weird twin brother thing. Like, I didn't know that that was a, you know, There's just so much I didn't know. So when I was reading, sure. I was like, ah, I almost had to do more research just to catch myself up with what was going on. So story-wise, like, 
I have a hard time giving this a, you know, like a judge just because it was, it's for me, it's right in the middle. Like, you know, what's going on more, but like, you know, as I've caught myself up a little bit, like it's a cool idea, like him being in prison and, you know, I couldn't, you know, what, so he's super angry at himself for something, and that's why he's kind of punishing himself and putting himself in prison. Well, Daredevil's always been all about penance and trying to make amends for things that have happened, whether it be failing people he couldn't save, or whether it be decisions that led to other people's deaths or injury or whatever. Like, he's always been on a path of penance. Right. That's kind of his whole bag. So, yeah, the, as far as the decisions, I mean, there's holes in me there for me, too, only because in this series, I don't know, somewhere around maybe issue 12, I sort of fell out of it for a second, and then came back to it around issue 22-ish, mostly as we heard about the Electra thing. I was super excited. Um, which also, for covers, like, number 31 is going to look amazing, but number 32 is an Electra cover again, and it looks so good. Awesome. Like, costume-wise, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, you know, I, overall, just from, just from art-wise and stuff, I give it, like, a, give it a four- Almost like it's just, you know, it's, it looks fantastic, you know? Sure. And the story wasn't like, is there's, I mean, there's nothing about the story that like turned me off from it. It was just, I don't think I like, you know, I really dove into it as much as I should just because. Not enough backstory. Yeah. I was just kind of like, what's that? And who's this? And what's going on with this? But like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a, I, I've never been a big reader of Daredevil anyway. Even, even back when like Kevin Smith, like he wrote it and it, like he became super hot for, you know, like it was kind of his big right. thing for me. I, I've just never been a Daredevil fan. Not because it's not a cool character. I just haven't, you know? And so, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, the story is very interesting. Like if, especially if you're a Daredevil fan, be excited. And if you're not, you want to pick up something cool that's new and interesting, you know, this is a, pretty pretty crazy book with what's going on like knowing knowing who all these you know like even uh type typhoid mary typhoid mary yeah, yeah, just yeah. like just it just goes back you know and goes we have a lot of characters that show up in it they're like namesake characters which right. is cool but yeah i mean if i was going to recommend a place i'd say number 25 so volume i think five five or six i can't remember what which volume it is but the one that starts with issue 25 or ends with issue, ends with issue 25 would be where I'd say to start. Cause I think the collection, cause I actually ordered them for Kurt. Right. And, um, I'm trying to remember what they said in the numbers. I think that one volume ends on 25 and picks up at 26. So maybe, uh, volume, gosh, I think it's volume six. Don't quote me on that, guys. Look, look at the write-ups. <laughs> That's the best I can tell you. Cause I, I mean, I, I know it's in there, but I don't remember. Anyhow, okay. Um, so we move on to uh, some vinyl. Yeah. Want to tell me a story about vinyl there, 45? All right. So this is vinyl number one from Image Comics. Um, it's written by Doug Wagner, and it's drawn by Daniel Hilliard. And this book is pretty crazy. Kind of all over the place. So bear with me here. Really cool, though. Um, it starts with two days from now, and you see some dialogue, just someone yelling, put it on. Then somebody's asking, but why? You'll remember, just put it on. And you see like a bloody hand, and you see an, an axe scraping across the floor, and then you see crazy zombie teeth, and then like a, like a mask with a button eye, and it's somebody yelling at a guy named Walter that said, it's Snap. Damn it, Walter, please. I don't want to die like this. And then you go to the next scene, and it's a guy... That we will come to find out his name is Dennis, and he's a 
F- an ex. Well, he's a retired FBI agent, but yeah. um, he's helping the FBI out with a, with certain things here and there. And he's yelling at this guy named Walters, like, "Please, you need to remember, put it on." And he's like, "Snap! That doesn't make sense." The guy is Walters. I, I, I'm scared. And then all of a sudden, like, music comes on, and um, the guy's like, "It's okay, Walter. I guess it's just our time." And he's like, "Okay." You know, for Pete's sake, get it over with. And it's like this whole time, this zombie woman is trying, is going, getting ready to kill this guy with an axe who's split open in his guts and he's not looking so good. And then all of a sudden, the Walter guy puts on this bear mask and it's, it's a crazy, like, kind of creepy bear mask with like one button eye, like dangling and the other one on there. And, and he just says, he just starts kind of like quoting an Ella Fitzgerald song, like Whisper Not, 1966. And then he goes, I do love the sound of vinyl. And he's snapping his fingers. Right. So then it goes, you know, that's supposed to be two days in the future. And then the next scene is uh, a nice spread. This is today, Kansas City, Missouri, the heart of America. And um, you can see somebody snapping, listening to an iPod, um, which is funny because like, those things aren't really. Right. There was such a thing for so many years. And I love mine. But like, anyway, <clears throat> you see. Um, Dennis sitting at a table and he's like, like talking to, you know, his in-ear to like the, the people. Some FBI that, agents in a van. Yeah. Waiting. Like they're staking, yep. they're staking out this, the situation. They're like, Dennis, we have a visual. Don't worry. We've had eyes and ears everywhere. The sickle makes a move and we'll be on him before you can say romantic brunch. And he's like, can we just cut the child as BS? Agent Ruiz, you know how, how much I hate this guy. He's like, listen, the agency really appreciates you and continue to help us after all these years. And they're, He's like, the friend that you get with this guy, the more likely he is to slip up. And so they're trying to get this guy to admit to something, and you're not sure what it is yet. Grant. He's like, Walter. And he's like, can you believe we've been... And the Walter guy sits down, the kind of the crazy guy. And he's like, can you, can you believe we've almost been here? almost, Or we've been meeting here for almost a year now? That's like an anniversary or something. Is, is, is this for me? He's like, now come on, don't read anything into a cup of coffee, okay? You always make, me, make this so weird. Let's not start up with that best friend dribble again. And the the people in the inner are like basically telling him you need to be nice, like chill out, like don't take this too far because you'd scare the guy off. And he and uh, the Walter guy is just like it's such a beautiful day, um, and all right, just building memories and everything. And he's like, for crying out loud, you just can't help yourself, can you? And he hands he slaps a bag down on the table, and they're like, what are you doing? This was the inner is like you're not supposed to, you're pushing it too far, you're gonna scare him off. And uh, Walter's like, you bought me a gift. He's like, just open it already. He's like, oh my. And it's like, it's a Robert Johnson, um, come on in my kitchen. It's just an old record. He's like, when's the last time you heard that song? That song in particular. He's like, and the inner's like, you're pressing too hard. You're, you're going to lose him. He's like, hmm. And then it, it goes two weeks ago, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. You see, like, this, a record playing, and it's, it's Robert Johnson. It's the same record, same, yeah. Same exact song. And it's playing, and you see, like, blood, like, it's skin, like, things. I think it's skin, like, just, just flying across and, like, stop. It lands on the record and stops it. It's like, sorry about that. Not as much fun without the music, eh? And you don't know what's going on in that scene. It's like somebody's getting murdered or demolished or something. Right. And then, like, the water guy goes back to modern day, and he's, the water guy's kind of lost in his own head. He's like, actually, I heard it just about an hour ago. A friend downloaded it for me not too long, two weeks ago on this iPod. It's like, two weeks, huh? That's a coincidence. There was a dumb homicide just two weeks ago outside of Cleveland. You want to hear something interesting about that dumb homicide? He's like, yes, please. He's like, the neighbor stated they heard that song playing over and over again for hours that night. Odd coincidence, wouldn't you say, Walter? He's like, very odd and 
deed. And he's like looking over, um, Dennis's shoulder and there's a woman there, like a crazy, like kind of scantily clad blonde woman. She's got a v-neck goes on for days. Yeah. And then like a woman in like next to her and like a weird yellow mask that you can't see the face and just like two holes for eyes and a hole for the mouth and like this weird white suit. And then a guy in a, in a vest. And Walter's like, oh my, like just confused. And then the Dennis is like, oh no. He's like, hello, Dennis. And Walter says, oh no, like he's kind of not sure what's going on. He's like, I don't know if you remember. The woman sits down next to him and is like, I know who you are, Madeline. And she's like, oh good. I was worried you'd forgotten, forgotten what you'd done to my, my fam. And then he's like, why are you here? You remember my son, you know, the one you had wrongly imprisoned? He was clearly, well, he desperately wants to start a family, but it's been difficult for him to find that the right young woman. See for yourself. And then Dennis is like, what in God's name? And it's a... She handed him, a, like, a batch of pictures. Yeah, and it's a, like somebody with, like, their guts split open. It's, yeah, and, it's a bloody mess. And it's like, why are you showing me this? And it's like, you do remember your estranged daughter, don't you, Dennis? And then the woman, like, waves her hand backwards, and it's her... What seems to be his daughter with a bunch of other girls all dressed the same in these white dresses with, like... Um, like kind of like a, a rope type belt around the center, like very culty. Oh yeah, hundred percent cult. And yeah, you do find out that it is a cult when mm-hmm. it's there, but it's like, um, she's like, and Dennis is like, Annie, you know, I didn't mean. What, what do you? And he, what do you want? And he's like, you. It's always been about you, Dennis. And he's like, if I come willingly, she stays here. She never sees you again. And she's like, the woman says, agreed. And the woman looks very Sharon Stoney, by the way. She does. Um, he's like, and then he's like, says it into his ear. He's like, agents, listen carefully. Stay out of this. This is my problem. My problem alone. As for you, Walter, I'm taking this back until you've earned it. And he, he grabs the record and walks off with, like, the weird cult lady. He's like, hey, hey, Vic, can you hear me on this thingamajig? This is Walter. You better hide away Dennis's little girl. I don't like the cut of that Madeline lady's jib. And they're like, what the hell? Yeah, how, how does he, wait, He's he knows my name, and he's, like, talking to the people, like, in the van, like yeah. Walter was. Like, he's know that, he knew that they were they the were The entire time, time, apparently, he knew that they were there, and... and and the funny thing is, when we pull back for a second, the lady who's in the van's like, how does he know my name? So Which crazy. Is crazy. But so cool at the same time. It is. It's pretty, for being a weird, best we can tell, psychopath, yeah, Walter comes off very, like, sort of simple. So, at, yeah, but, so, yeah. so up to this point, basically they're trying to get Walter to admit that he's the one that murdered those people. Right. But I don't think that he did. I, but maybe that he did. I don't know. But anyway, you see... Like somebody riding a bike and snapping their fingers and ringing a bell, like just down a weird dirt road, a sunflower sunshine, beautiful. And in the distance, you see the cult people and you see that Walter's riding a bike towards the house and they're doing some sort of ritual around a girl in just her underwear. And, uh, Walter rides up and they, they're like, Oh, you're the man from the park. Yes. And he's like, he's like, he's my best friend. I came to ask nicely. And the woman's like, he's not the person you think he is. And he goes, are any of us? Madeline, you seem nice enough. I don't wish for things to become unpleasant between us. And she laughs. And she says, I suggest you go about your way, old man, and find some new friends. Dennis belongs to me now. He's like, if you say so, but I do have one question. Do all of you sleep in that one house? Seems improbable. And she says, well, shall my guards show you out? He's like, no need. I know the way now. Like, so, so crazy. Creepy. And, And as he's riding away, he's like, he's mad. And he stops and pulls like, and then, like a, a letter, like an envelope thing out of his, his jacket coat, his coat pocket and puts it in a mailbox that's, you know, on this dirt road and like lifts the, 
the little red flag, and he's like, new friends it is. And you're like, what? And next you see the Fashion District New York, and so then you have a- Agent Ruiz, and she's looking at, like, these three different interesting, like, scenes, like, it's almost photographs from crime scenes, and it's like, it's a cell phone specifically in each scene. And one of them, a guy that's bald, is holding it, pushing, like, a weird, like, garbage cart. And one of them's on a table with, like, some, like, movie monster, like, like a creature of the Black Lagoon glove and mask, and then a Ouija board, and then, but on the ground next to it's, like, a chainsaw and a, like, it's a covered blood. in blood, yeah. But it looks like maybe, like, some sort of, like, alien mask or something. I don't know. And then the top one is, like, it looks like somebody making, that's making costumes of some sort of thing in the first two. And then the last one is just, it's the same scene, but, She's t- she's kind of trying to figure out like what what was going on with Dennis and that he was coerced, and she's calling him obviously calling him the serial killer, and she's just confused and she's like agent, let it go, agent Ruiz, that's an order, let it go, maybe I'm dead, and she's just, c- just confused trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, she's trying to understand why why he went with the woman from the cult, right? And she can't seem to wrap her head around it. So this is the this is the FBI lady, the one that Walter knew the name of, right? And you see in the background, like, of that last scene, a guy come through the door with a bear mask on. Right. Like, behind her as she's washing her face. And then it skips to back at the Bellini family sunflower farm, the old cult place. And Dennis is, like, tied up at the, at a dinner table and the woman's there drinking, drinking a glass of wine. And there's like a, you know, a, 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 a roasted pig on the table and she's just, so, Dennis, what do you make of the family bunker? Elegant on this level, wouldn't you agree? As much as it pains me to say this, and it really does, I owe it all to you. Your transgressions against my family helped me focus. It gave me purpose. And like, well, isn't that odd? And there's people walking up the path, like, on the security camera. It's like, uh, and so, like, the, the women in the ma- the weird yellow mask are like, it goes, the, the only thing that, the dialogue that shows them is dots. It's like weird, like they're speaking some weird code. Yeah, they're talking to each other in code or whatever, whatever it is, is, is not a normal or, form of talking. And she's like, the woman's like, like this, one of the women in the masks is saying something to her, but we can't understand. And she, and she says, no, I want you, you husks to stay with me. Send our male companions. Have them seal us in now. And you see the guy with the bear mask. And some other guys with guns and says, hurry up, help her shut the, shut the F up. And they're, they're trying to seal, seal it in, but the guy in the bear mask is already inside, already behind him. Right. And then you just see blood and the, the flashlight and the, like the guy's trying to seal the doors and like they turn around to try to, to like the two, there's two guys sealing it up and one guy's like, hurry up. And the guy, basically Walter, I'm assuming is, um, behind that guy. He gets murdered. And then they turn around because they hear something, and then Walter's behind them, and he slashes them up, and it's just he just goes nuts and just straight up murders, like destroys them, kills a whole bunch of them. Best we can tell, I mean, the so, I mean, it's not really. Well, Walter's back to save his friend. That's basically what's going on. But yeah, the whole bear mask. So there's two covers of this book. There's a cover, which is the one we're using tonight. Which just has Walter in the middle of the front cover. Then there's a B cover where it's the bear mask um, on top of, um, best we can tell, Walter. So they're the exact same cover, except that one he has a mask on and one he doesn't. Well, then in the last scene, it's Walter and his bear mask, and he takes it off. 
and he's looking at like the camera and he says, Madeline, I did try to warn you. And then it just ends right there to be continued. So he's there to get his friend and you're like, what in the heck is going on? <laughs> right. And it's crazy because then it, it flashes to scenes from the next issue. Right. And it's like the cover of that one looks crazy because it was what looks like Dennis, but he's got like his, his eyes all is like eyes or something's all mangled. And then it's like two redheaded guys, like kids. And it looks like twin brothers and it shows a bunch of different movie, movie monster masks and things like that. And so you're wondering, I'm almost wondering if Walter is a twin. That's kind of what that cover makes me think. And it, and it makes me wonder if maybe his twin is the murderer and he's not the murderer and, or maybe it's showing his two personalities, like his murderer personality is not murder personality. And both, like, both he, possibilities. Yeah. Which are both really cool ideas. Because it's like, as far as like the anti-hero bad guy be doing good things, because he's, he's kind of doing a good thing to save his friend, but it's like also, you know, he's using his powers to save somebody, but he's also murdered a bunch of people to do it. Right. I don't know. Kind of, I like that stuff. You know, it's like, it's not like, it's not like Venom, where it's like, oh, he's a bad guy, but he's kind of a good guy. It's like, no, this guy's straight up just, if he's a murderer, he's a really horrific murderer. Right. And he's basically like cutting people up and using their skin to make like costumes. movie costumes, I yeah. guess. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, and I'll, and I'll give you. And the whole thing is that it's not like Walter and Dennis are really friends. I mean, Dennis, Dennis doesn't like him. He like no. makes like you know how much I hate this guy. He's the cop that's been hunting Walter, trying to put him in jail this whole time. So right. it's like this weird. It's almost like a Joker Batman thing going on, but a little more. I don't know. Maybe more real worldy. I don't know. It's yeah. It's neat. Uh, you got a score for that book there, Josh? Um, well, how many is it? It's obviously a mini-series. It is a mini-series. I want to say it's a five-part. Five-part. Um, I really liked it. I, I, you know, like, the art's clean, and a lot of times, especially on indie books, like, you struggle with, like, you know, it might be an art, like, an artist's, like, early run of them becoming, so there's, it's kind of, it's kind of messy. Sure. Like, through this whole thing, like, there's little, little new things here and there. You have to, like, really go through it and, like, see. Like, even, like, in the one scene where Agent Ruiz is, like, trying to figure out what's going on, you can see Walter in the background coming in the door. Yep. Like, just really small and hidden in the corner. And you're like, it took me the second read through the seat to notice it, you know? And it's like, it's a really cool book. There's a lot of, a lot of layers to this thing. Like, um, it's, and then him murdering, like, some, like, some bunch of cultists makes me laugh so hard. Like, I, <laughs> it really does. And so, you know, she may be right, like, you know, Dennis could be a, not a good guy, and he might have done something wrong, but, like, I don't know. You know, you don't know what's going on with that situation, <clears throat> but, I, you know, they had they had Dennis's daughter, and... Which is pretty messed up, I mean... Yeah, like, somehow they got her and kind of brainwashed her or something. It definitely looks that way. I mean, there's a little more dialogue in there where, like, they say, oh, you remember the daughter you basically yeah, the kicked out? The estranged, estranged daughter? daughter? They said either go to college or, or move out. And it's just like, right. yeah, but that's not really that that's big not what deal. I meant. That's not like, yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, you know? it's but not. It's like, so anyway, I mean, again, I give like a four and a half. Like, it's a really good book. Like, it's really written well. The Walter character is super cool. Um, I know. I'm I'm real interested to see where it goes. So, and like the what like the music part of it. Like, what's it's, I mean, the book's called Vinyl. So something's going on with the music. That the switch flips, like when a song, like he goes into maybe some, when he goes into one of his psychopathic like trances, that maybe like the music does it. I 
Maybe. And you, and you, like, they, they say that, like, the song plays on repeat as he does the murders. Like, what's that all about? I don't know. That's, like, again, there's so many questions, but, like, good ones. You're like, oh, I wonder what that means. Where are they going to go with that? And I really hope it, you know, a lot of problem with these indie books, which, I mean, Image isn't really indie, but, like, these just little, like, cool independent stories are, like, they don't always pay off. And I say that a lot on this, on this show. It's like, eh, sometimes they don't pay off. You're like, what's going to happen? Like, and then it just fizzles out. But I really hope it pays off because so far it's really cool. Right. Well, this same group, um, did a book called Plastic a while back and it's also like a twisted kind of messed up story. Um, it was good too. Another mini series maybe came out two years ago, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, as far as like this book, I don't know. I, for this particular book, I give it a three and a half. Like the art is really good. The story is interesting. Like all the different elements moving around are really cool. So yeah, same thing. I I'm interested to see like what what happens with the rest of it. And like Walter, if it is Walter in the bear mask, which I mean, I at this point I'm, I'm of the opinion that it is for being like sort of a cute bear mask. It's really pretty creepy. Very. Like, very, yeah. Because it's not like one of those scary masks from Halloween or anything. It's kind of simple, but it's simple, like, off-putting, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I give it three and a half. That was great. It's really, really interesting thing. I'm interested to see what the rest of it winds up giving us, how much farther it goes with the thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just, I have so many questions. So is this new-new? It is. Uh, is new this week, as a matter of fact. So it is, uh, it is very, very new. Alright, well, let's move into, uh, move into the Batman the Reptilian, uh, from DC Comics. This guy's also very new. Actually, I think the only one of these is not from this week is Electra. Or, sorry, not Electra, Daredevil. Basically Electra, right? Same thing? No? Okay. Do what? I said the only one is not, like, new from this week it would be the Electra book, the Daredevil book. Calling her Daredevil Electra. Ah, I gotcha. I was like, what? Everything else is new this week. So, like, book by Even Good Luck, which, um, we'll chit chat a little bit about it in the show. Another one that we were kind of looking at this week. But with the interview stuff, which I think is fantastic, figured we'd give it, give a little more room for the interview. Uh, anyhow, so moving on to Batman the Reptilian. Uh, this guy is written by Garth Ennis, and the art inside is by Liam Sharp. And this is another, it's a mini-series as well. It's uh, on the Black Label imprint for DC. So uh, for a series, I want to say it's a six-part. One, one of the things I think is really cool in this book is that there's a, there's a, a pinned letter at the beginning of this, a very short paragraph, it's not a paragraph, it's like maybe eight sentences. Um, that's a letter from Liam Sharp to um, Steve Dillon, who uh, passed away um, recently. Uh, Steve Dillon did a lot of work with Garth Ennis. So if you're f- familiar with Preacher, whether it be the show or the comic book, Steve Dillon is the one that drew that. Um, him and Garth also did a whole bunch of Punisher stuff together, and all that stuff was fantastic. What the little letter basically says is it's a, it's a letter from Liam Sharp to Steve Dillon, and Liam knowing this story was meant for Steve to draw. And now that Steve's gone, Liam just trying to hope to live up to what he what he what he would have wanted and uh it's really really cool it's like it's a sentiment kind of thing but it i I think it's awesome and if you weren't aware like if you've read that and you're like i don't know what this means that's what it is it's a letter from one artist to the other artist like telling his friend that hopefully i do well for you so i I think that's super cool 
Um, it has nothing to do with the story of the book. <laughs> Anyhow, so when we first open up, we're outside of a courthouse. Um, everything art-wise is uh, this painted style art. And uh, we've got a, uh, a little lawyer man with a really big mustache talking to the press about uh, how their court case, they're happy the court case went their way and how they can never rely on uh, testimony from a vigilante because there is no testimony from a vigilante. And so it was, as a thing, they can't believe that the, the, the police went after him in the first place. And we wind up finding out that they're behind him when we get a close-up. We see that there's this very, very large man just behind him, like Bane-sized. It's not Bane. He's not a dude who's a fighter guy, who, uh, like, in-ring fighter. And he's uh, got himself in trouble from beating up a few ladies. Of course, Batman caught him and then turned him in. And now we're at the point where they're trying to prosecute him. And because it's Batman that turned him in, well, a lot of that evidence doesn't work out so well. The lawyer's now seeking defamation charges and wanting to sue the city and just basically turn it about on the situation. And uh, as a thing, as he's giving this talk to the press, he talks about, oh, how the city can't allow Batman to get mixed up in the police department's chores and everything they have to do. They, they rely too much on this vigilante and, you know, the same kind of thing that any lawyer would be saying, trying to get his client off and make money or whatever. Um, well, in the back of this audience, we wind up seeing that there, Batman is there, and uh, as the lawyer goes on and on and on, Batman slowly walks through the crowd, till eventually he's uh, in the middle of the crowd, and we get a really big close-up, and we see the uh, lawyer realize that he is there, and he's like, uh, oh my god. And uh, from there, Batman walks straight up to the boxer guy, and he starts shaking him down. He says, Edward, um, you're a coward. The things you've done, you're you're a coward. You you tend to be brave. You put on this brave show, and you go and you wrestle around with other men. But what you did to those women was cowardly. And Batman basically just reads in the riot act, and it it's really pretty sharp writing. And as far as like the the dialogue, it's just Batman basically beating this dude down for the behavior that he observes outside of out well for the behavior he exhibits in his real life. And he talks about, I wonder how long your wife's going to put up with that. She'll probably just stay right with you. It's fine. But as far as things are concerned, like what you are is a coward. And of course, as this is going on, we see the the boxer getting a little heated about it. And of course, he's doing all this in front of the press corps. So this is all happening in front of a huge crowd of people. As uh, as Batman goes on, one of the last things he says is he's like, a small wonder their stories all fell apart. Whenever the, the women went to testify, your lawyer went after them. He went after the same women that you brutalized. So, like, he paints a picture of the lawyer being a dirty dirty lawyer, too. As all that stuff's going on, he's like, you're a world champion, inspiration to, mi- to millions, and a coward. And uh, about that time, the lawyer gets in the middle, and he's like, uh, oh, we're going to stand for this disgrace, and we're not going to put up with any of this. And uh, Batman grabs his hand, and he just squeezes it. And we get a close-up of that to see that he's that he's done it. And uh, about that time, the... Uh, the boxer decides to go after Batman. That's all Batman really wanted. Uh, because he goes after him, and whatever it is Batman does is off-camera. And this part I kind of wish we saw a little more of, because we see the dude lunge at him and try to punch him. And then we see Batman move, and all we hear is a scream. And uh, then we see Batman standing up in front of the courthouse while the uh, huge fellow is on the ground behind him, the lawyer looking over him lamentedly, and he says, uh, Batman just says self-defense. And uh, basically leaves. And that's when we get our title page that introduces the artist and writer and whatnot. From there, we cut to the Batcave, 
And uh, Batman's inside, and he's going over a bunch of files and talking to Alfred and talking about a bunch of new crime scene photos that have just shown up, where we uh, learn that something crazy has happened with Scarecrow and the Penguin, and it, it not did not go very it did not go really well. Like the Scarecrow had been cut from from neck to crotch. Yeah, it's kind of like this. Sounds like they're just kind of mutilated, but not yeah, dead. Not dead, but brutalized and and cut up. And at one point, the penguin was supposedly nailed to the roof, but also, best we can tell, not dead. So, like, in the dialogue, they go over that. And uh, while they're talking, like, at one point, Alfred's like, was it you? And Bruce is like, no, man, that's not... What? So, but Batman decides he needs to go try to find some some stuff out and uh, figure out who's caused all these problems. And uh, as he's leaving, like Alfred's like, "Oh, don't do you think uh, you might just stay in one night?" And, you know, same old Alfred trying to keep Batman from doing crazy things. And uh, off Batman goes. Uh, from there, we wind up finding finding him downtown, driving around looking for a uh, looking for a batch of henchmen types. And he goes to this one particular bar, and of course, the bartender's like, oh, "Why are you always coming here?" So as he's shaking down the bartender, he tells him he asks him, "Where's Constantine Volkov at?" And he's like, I don't know. I don't. I don't keep tabs on these people. And basically, Batman shakes him down to the point where he tells him just to, to call him, call him, and tell him where to meet me. But don't tell him who's calling. Don't tell him who he's meeting. And so, as that goes on, a few of the other patrons in the bar decide to try to get uppity and put a stop to Batman shaking down the bartender and making him make this phone call, which does not go well for them because um, he's Batman, you know. So from there, we cut cut to a rooftop, and we have Constantine who showed up, this skinny little. Kind of bald head gangbanger looking dude. Um, up on top of the roof and it, it's dark. And he's, uh, he's up there walking around. And he's like, Schmitty? And, uh, Batman steps out of the shadows and he says, sends his regards. And of course he freaks out because it's Batman. And, uh, of course he tries to sort of get away for a second. And, uh, Batman basically backs him up to the edge of the building to where the only place he can go is down. So no other choice but to do whatever Batman wants. And Batman tells him not to be worried, that Batman never kills. Everyone knows that. He starts shaking him down and trying to get information about what happened to the uh, Riddler and to uh, and to the Penguin. And uh, he's like, well, what do you mean? Like, uh, we, we, we didn't have any choice. And, like, Batman grabs him by his hair and, like, holds him over the ledge and reminds him again that Batman doesn't kill. And uh, about the time the dude breaks and he's like, well, we're the ones that attacked the two of them. Like, uh, working for the Hatter and for, uh, Scarecrow, because they were gonna come after us. We knew they were coming after us, so we went after them first. And that's where we learn all the stuff about pinning him on the roof and messing up the Riddler. So, uh, it, as it turns out, Volkov was part of the whole group that went after them. And it led to a bloodbath of, like, regular gangster types, but our main two are not dead. But it was the Hatter and the Scarecrow that put all of it into motion. And, uh, Batman's like, well, you guys did this to prevent them? He's like, well, we tried to cook it to, to keep them from killing us. They were going to come after us. We knew they were. And Batman's like, I, you need to try to explain a little bit better. Basically, is what he's asking him. And uh, he's like, well, the, the, this all started way earlier. And so Batman's like, explain. Of course, Volkov tells Batman about how there's a one particular night that they all get together, all the baddies, to discuss how to kill the Batman. And so we cut to a scene where we've got a room with uh, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, Joker, Mad Hatter, Two-Face, Killer Croc, Man-Bat, 
the, uh, oh, what's the one from, uh, Phantasm, that's the other one, all in one room, and, uh, basically what the evening normally leads to is them all trying to plan ways to kill the Batman. But this particular night, things got heated because everything felt really weird. And as they were all talking, something made everybody get more aggressive, and so eventually they were all at each other's throats. And we see a couple scenes where it's like the Joker step poking Penguin in the eyes with his fingers, and everything's like a a red fight between everybody. And uh, eventually we've got guns drawn, and it, it talks about how everyone felt like they were supercharged with rage to each other, and it wasn't normal, and then all of a sudden it was just gone. And so... um as a thing, they they decide it must have been something that was done by the the other group. I mean, one of the other one of the others must have done it to them, because everybody had it happen to them, and there was no explanation to why it happened. So no reasoning as to what uh, caused the rage or the crazy uh, unsettled feeling about it. He says normally all of us low level thugs just wait outside in the lobby while they all hash it out inside. But even us in the lobby felt like it was weird and felt odd. And we see like a dual, dual kind of picture where we've got um, a couple different gangsters with guns pointing at each other and their eyes are glowing crazy red. And in the very next scene, it's just the guy standing there. It's like, as soon as it went away, it was completely gone. Like, like we were all free. And so, uh, from there we get a shot of everybody deciding to leave. And he talks about how that night they all left with no real plan. And then we cut back to the two of them on the roof, and Batman's, you know, extracting more information from him, trying to get more of what happened afterwards. And he explains to him, well, that's when we decided we had to take the others out, because obviously what they were doing was causing, was doing it to us, so they were going to come kill us. All of us knew that, which is why they went after each other. Batman eventually lets him go, and uh, Constantine moves on with what he's going to do for the rest of the night. And, like, we see, uh, we see him go home, and he's, like, taking a few pills, and... He's sitting there looking at himself in the mirror, and he's like, man, this this isn't right. Like, you're a winner. You're a winner. And he takes a couple of pills, which I'm, I assume are Tylenol. It's hard to say what they are. But he uh, gets in the bed, turns off the light, and it's dark inside the room. And we get a couple of scenes that are just black, like, panels. And in the middle of one of them, it says, remember, Constantine. Another black panel. The Batman never kills. And he turns back on the light just to see Batman sitting there lurking in the darkness like so the dude so batman followed him home to drive home the point that yeah maybe batman never kills you but um he's gonna haunt you and mess with you it's it's wild um but as far as the thing like i mean that's where the book basically ends the first issue um so we don't get any reveal as far as like what was causing everyone to be aggro and crazy as far as writing i mean the writing is not bad its story is interesting I mean, it's basically a big mystery. I mean, the titling itself makes you think that it's something to do with Killer Croc, but Killer Croc was there at the at the uh, meeting and was in the group of the guys fighting each other. So if he was doing it to all of them, that's weird. In fact, the only person we don't see is Catwoman. Like she's the only one that's not there. But the <clears throat> Batman seems that one part asks kind of like. Is it maybe like something that like the Joker thought up, right? And so it's like, is it some new kind of guess that Joker came up with, or it makes people just go into? But like, I don't think I don't think so because he was there because he kind of he was also I, one of the ones that was freaking out. Yeah, because what the way the way our thug explains things, like everybody was affected by it that was there. So like, 
I mean, generally, if it was a gas that was causing it, it'd either be Scarecrow or it'd be um, the Joker. But Scarecrow and Mad Hatter teamed up together to go after Riddler and Penguin because they're not the ones that did it. They assumed that the other two had done it were coming after them. So if it is really like a thing where Scarecrow is doing it, you think he would know that, right? And the way that at least our thug understood it, that was something that wasn't the case. So it, I mean, it's a it's a mystery as far as like what caused it, and as far as what led to the uh, brutality on the others, we still don't really know. So I'm not sure if this whole reptilian thing is going to turn out to be some new, some new bad guy, or if it's going to be something else. Um, so I guess issue two will explain more of that. Uh, as far as the score, I'm going to give it a two and a half. The writing's not bad, and the art. The art goes through waves. It's like there's some stuff that's really beautiful, and there's other stuff that's just not my cup of tea. It's hard, man. I I struggled through this one. Like I, it's really hard to read because you don't know. It's like it's too dark sometimes. Like the, I mean, the art independently, like the they're they're well done. Like independent each each. I don't want to say that it's the art's bad because each frame is it looks neat like it's 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 good art it just i don't think it quite flows as a comic book like it the art it's too dark and it's too there's no you can't really see the action right and you know and i think that the you know like the cityscapes are like beautifully done i mean it it looks like each like again i don't know it's hard to explain each frame looks really good, but like as a flow, there's no flow to because like you can't really see anything that's going on. Sometimes you're just like, "What's going on?" Like, like what does he do to that dude at the beginning? Like, you know, like yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was saying. Like, we don't we see the the boxer throw a punch at him, and then off camera we get this whole scream, and we see red. And the next thing that they see is the dude's feet laying there. So I. I did he, did Batman punch him in the throat? Did he break his back? Did he bane him? We don't know. I mean, you think that we would have seen a little more to that, because if he, if he baned him, you have to imagine someone would have drawn the art for that. So yeah, it, it being off camera and then like his walkaway line is cool, because he's like, self-defense. Did he kill that dude? I mean, that's not his bag, right? Because Batman doesn't kill. So what did he do to him? You know, and, and, and the weird, like, Alfred looking like Timothy Dalton was kind of odd to me. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't really. Like, I guess I didn't notice. Do you have a picture for me? Oh. Huh. He does look like Timothy Dalton. Which, you know, was Bond for... Wasn't he Bond for one one movie? Um, he's been a bad guy in a lot of movies. I don't know if he's been Bond or not. Well, who's the one that did it right for Pierce Brosnan? But didn't he do... Oh, yeah. He, no, it was. Didn't he do one? Yeah, it was him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I just... It's hard to see things, and it's. I think that that's my biggest issue with it is, you lose detail, and I don't know. It's just it's messy. It's all. It's just it's almost messy, to me. And uh, I give it a two and a half. Like I'm interested. I mean, the story the story is decently done, right? But I think that if it would have been a different artist doing this, like how they in the back you can see like an, like maybe potentially a an alternate cover. Well, yeah, the uh, the B cover is by Cully Hammer. But is this it? Yeah, that's the B cover. That's what that if the, is. If the art was done like that, this book would have been way better, I think. 
just more animated looking, like more like what's going on. Sure. I don't know. Like I, you know, I, str- I struggled getting through because I was like, what's going on in that scene? Like, you know, the bar scenes through, and I get it. Batman's, they're trying to like focus on Batman being dark in the shadows and that kind of thing. But it's just like, mm-hmm. even the beginning when he's talking to that boxer guy, it's supposed to be daytime and it's like, it looks nighttime almost. It's weird. It's just so dark and you can't really see much. It's, it was, it was odd. I mean, because Gotham's always dark. Right. It's never light in Gotham. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, That's it's, how the bat symbol works all the time. But, yeah, I didn't realize that this was on the black label, so does that mean there's like extra violence and extra swearing? Is that the, what that means? Well, black labels, I don't know. It, it's not necessarily a moniker of just that. I mean, black label, at this point, best I can describe for it, it means that it's not regular continuity and that... It would be something could, can lead to more being more more graphic or more R rated. Um, it's not a requirement as far as story is concerned. It's just something that's not continuity, and because of that, I mean, Garthians generally writes darker stuff anyway. I mean, Preacher is a whole different bag of nuts. And as far as like stories, actually, me and uh, Michael in the interview we talked about Preacher a little bit actually in there. But as far as like style of writing, what goes into the story has a lot of different layers to it. Not that this doesn't. I mean, again, this is only issue one, but as far as, like, what plays to normal audience, age-wise, it has the opening to go farther. Now, this book doesn't go anything, doesn't do anything crazy-crazy. No. I mean, it really doesn't. I didn't even notice it was a black label until, like, I was just, look, like, looking at the cover. Just right. Now. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned it, but, you know. Well, yeah, I, you probably did, but I was yeah. flipping through stuff, and but... Mostly I can tell you with the black label stuff, it's not necessarily like a requirement for it to be rated crazy. It's a, it's a story that doesn't fit in regular continuity. Uh, so how this thing's going to play out, I mean, if it's a new bad guy, if it's something crazy like Batman's the bad guy, I mean, it's something that doesn't land in regular continuity. Right. Um, but there's plenty of stories well, in there. obviously Alfred's alive in this. So. Well, I mean, yeah, timeline-wise at this point, that, that, that also tells you that. Uh, just because in the regular continuity, Alfred's not. Uh, but yeah, as far as the thing... It's not like it's a requirement, but it can get that way, yeah. And, like, the psychological level on that, like, the whole thing with him following home, the same thug he was roughing up, is it's pretty messed up. Yeah, for sure. But, but I mean, I don't necessarily feel like it's something that is so crazy that it wouldn't fit in regular continuity yet. Right. But it's not designed to be continuity. So, yeah. I gave you the score the same as you, two and a half. I'm interested to see what the next issue does, but, yeah, it is... It is one that you get a lot of stuff that seems to happen off panel, and I, I don't, I don't hate it. And like you, like I mean, like you said, the art, it's like there's really good, like all the panels are really good, but it feels like some pieces there's not enough movement to sell what's happening. It's just a lot of like really cool, like Batman posing in the dark shots. Mm, yeah, really, sure. like he's not really doing. He's just like there, dark with the you know his cape and cowl, just kind of looming. Like it just like, there's no you lose. Like, if it was, like, a sketch that you bought at, like, a con or something, it'd be great, or, you know, a painting of just that scene, it'd be like, oh, that's cool, but, like, but as a book goes, like, the flow isn't there. Right. <clears throat> I concur, sir. I concur. The cover's great. Both of them are great. I mean, I do like the Collie Hammer cover, the the B cover, but the, the cover, the way it's, like, the, what appears to be a lizard face with the bat symbol in the eye, in the eye hole, that's not how you say that. In the eyeball? In the eyeball, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I think the cover's great. Both See, I don't awesome. like it. No? No, I think it's cheesy. I like the other cover way better. 
Uh, it's more normal comic style cover too. But yeah, I dig it. I, I like both of them. Man, as far as stories, I guess we'll see what happens with the next one. Maybe they're going to go into the whole uh, reptilian brain thing, which is putting people mm-hmm. back to like their most basic, you know, uh, early instinct, like where the, I don't know. Oh, maybe. That would kind of explain how the rage factor with everybody. Yeah. So it may be very... That's what I gathered exactly from it. Exactly what it is is a new new bad guy or something. But yeah, it, I guess we'll see what happens in the next issue. Uh, again, it's a miniseries. It's only six parts, so it's not super long. Uh, well, after that, let's go and roll the uh, interview. Again, this is uh, this is with uh, Michael Morsey and uh, Nathan Gooden from uh, from Vault Comics. Uh, they are the boys bringing you the Berserker book. So we'll go and run that now. Hi, guys. Hey, it's Steve with the Top Five Comics Podcast, and uh, I am joined by Michael Morrissey and uh, Nathan Gooden, uh, one of the founders at uh, Vault Comics. Yeah, yeah, and both guys are uh, bringing you the book, The uh, Barbaric, uh, from Vault. Uh, as far as uh, series is, we've got Michael who's writing and Nathan who's drawing, and also uh, the uh, art director and co-founder of Vault Comics. Uh, as far as, like, things, well, to start with, guys, I mean, we know we got a new book coming out, which is awesome. Um, it, as far as things, I mean, Michael, I know you've got, a, a, like, a longer history in just in general in comic books from what little bit I know in novels and stuff, too. But, like, what, as far as the thing, like, what made you decide you wanted to start doing, like, I mean, I guess writing in general, or, like, comic book writing, I guess, specific, if, if you have, what made you want to do that? Um, you know, well, I love comics uh, since I was a kid. Um, you know, some of my fondest memories are growing up on comics, you know, comics and, and film, uh, and books, too. You know, I'm just, uh, just a consumer of, 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 you know, media and entertainment. I love it. Uh. It's just, it's just in the fabric of my life, and it's just, just kind of taking to that. I just, um, I don't know. I just always wanted, I just always wanted to do it, you know. Like I just like writing was always something that was, you know, in me. And um, you know, I, I, I wrote all through my youth, wrote through high school, wrote, you know, you know, went to college, took writing classes. Uh, that's why my 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 degree, my both my degrees are in. And uh, yeah, then I just when I got a school, when I got a grad school at um at Northwestern uh, University, I just you know tried to get into comics. I was reading them all the time and I worked my way up the food chain, so to speak, uh, started doing like real small indie, small press anthologies, stuff like that. And worked my way up and up and, uh, you know, long story short, here I am, you know, and I'm thrilled. I'm great, grateful to be here. And I love what I do. And I just, I just love working in this uh, great medium. Well, no, fantastic, man. As far as projects, I mean, you've reached for a lot of companies too, which is awesome. Um, maybe, yeah, I've been really well, lucky for sure. So Nathan, uh, you too. Like, what what made you decide? That, I mean, I know you also have a background, um, schooling wise, and like animation and stuff. But like, what made you think um, I want to do comic books and like start a company? How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of bit of a bit of a story. But you know, I, I my whole life I was a comic book fan, like everyone else. Like I'm a big comic book fan, big really into cartoons, things like that. And I couldn't really decide which route I wanted to go, but. Uh, I think it was the first time I saw a Frazetta painting that I was like, yes, fantasy, like comic, novel covers, that, that's gonna be my career. Um, so at that point I was, you know, went to school for animation and film and I worked in that industry for a few years. Um, and really just couldn't find the passion that I had for comics in 
um, just illustrations in general. Um, and, you know, at that point, Adrian and Damien were wrapping up their degrees at the same time. And, you know, we were like, hey, we all kind of had this passion for the same thing. Well, let's do this. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's take a wild leap into, you know, wild leap and try and start a company. Uh, start a publishing company. And, uh, you know, a few years later, we're, we're still going, so. Oh, no, that's awesome, man. As far as things, like the dominoes just sort of lined up for you. That's great. Yeah, I think I think it was a blessing to have... It's it's hard to do on your own, to have the courage of something on your own, and to have... You know, D- Damien and Adrian and I were close. For people who don't know, Damien and Adrian Wassel are my cousins, uh, also the co-founders of Vault with me. Um, it was really just luck of the draw that we had the same passions and, like, you know, coming out of school at the same time, and, you know, it's... A little easier to do when you have a teammate, you know? Well, sure, and the fact you guys shared so many things, I, similarities in life is really great. I mean, build-wise, you have people to work with that are people you're also connected to. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Well, as far as, like, other things, I mean, as far as books and whatnot, I mean, Michael, you've also written a few novels, so it's like, path-wise, you have a whole lot of stuff underneath your belt. Um, other books, I mean, the stuff you're doing for Vault, I mean, you also have the plot, and then... Wasted space, right? And then spree is is another one you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the plot is actually plot's done. Spree, spree is with the trades coming out uh, later this year. Um, and wasted space. Um, as a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, which is you know the 23rd of June, um, we um, the, the 21st issue uh, came out today, uh, and that was the first issue of the final arc. Um, so we are we're kind of rounding. Rounding third on that one, go, it goes to 25 issues, so we're almost done. And, um, you know, that's been a remarkable story. It's been, I've been so happy with that book, and it's kind of cool. Um, Adrian Wassel, who's, you know, the editor on the book, you, you know, Nate mentioned earlier. Um, Adrian and I, and I talk about this a lot, where it's like, you can kind of trace wasted space with the, you know, the growth and trajectory of, of Vault, you know, like that was my first book in Vault, and it was one of Vault's very early books, uh, in there, you know, uh, in their, I guess, career, in their lifespan, whatever. Uh, it was an early vault book, uh, and it took off in a really great way. Um, and it's kind of just been around, you know, through through vault's history now, through these, you know, however long it's been going out, three three years or so, three years plus. And um, what's cool is that, like, you know, I've done more stuff since then. I did Spree next, and that did a little bit better than Waste of Space, and Plot did better, and now Barbaric's doing better in terms of, like, you know, sales and numbers, and it shows, like, Vault's growth and my growth will involve, so it's it's pretty it's pretty neat. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been lucky to do a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, like I said, with Vault and um, different things, and you know, we've had a really great relationship creatively, uh, professionally, and personally, and I, and, I, and I love it. I love being there. I love working with these guys, Nate, Damian, uh, Tim, um, Adrian, you know, Tay, everybody. It's a, it's a great it's a great family that's there, and it really is. You know, I think. You know, literally as a family, because you know, <laughs> you know, Adriel, you know, Adrian, those Damien, Nate are related, but there's also like um, just a family sense of how how good everybody is to each other. Well, sure, and everybody being connected—that's awesome. Like you said, really family business stuff. That's that's really cool. Um, I had no idea about that till just till today. So that's awesome. Yeah, and I I can I can take that off what uh, what Mike said. The, the first time he uh, first time I read. Wasted space. I I do. We had to do a book together. You know, it wasn't until now that our paths crossed at the same time. But it was you know because he was busy with something else, or I was busy with something else. But this was the first time that 
you know, I, I just knew reading Waste of Space, I was, I was like, I have to do a book with Mike. I have to do a book with Mike. It's, you know, like, this is just, it, it, our styles are great together. We were, you know, we became legit friends at conventions and, uh, you know, things like that. So it was, it was, I knew this book had to happen. Well, yeah, as far as like art stuff, I mean, so like, do you guys have any, uh, I guess would it be like, uh, the people people that inspire you or like drove you to do what you do? I mean, is there like an artist you look at? And, I mean, you said Frazetta earlier, which is awesome. But as far as like in the industry, is there anybody else that you're like, yeah, I like what that dude's doing? I mean, either one of you. Uh, you can go first, Mike, if you want. Um, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, there's so many. Um, you know, if you're looking at comics, um, you know, because like you said, I do I do work in novels as well. I actually do. Uh, you know, my I have my first film coming out this year as well. I've been lucky to do some you know, screen screenwriting work. Um, so that's a whole different spectrum. But like, if we're looking at comics and really, you know, the inspirations there. Um, you know, there's many. There, you know, I've been reading comics for you know over 30 years now. <laughs> so sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the ones that really, you know, I think that I can really look to. Um, you know, Garth Ennis is, is huge, you know, like I think anybody who's read Wasted Space and now Barbaric can really see, um, you know, Garth's, uh, DNA. Um, I think no one does sacred and profane the way Garth does. Uh, no one has the type of humor that Garth does. I mean, he's so funny, but also so, has such a, you know, great big being heart, uh, beneath, you know, his, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, all the swearing and the blood and the filth, like he is, um, you know, he has that thing that I would argue, you know, to be honest, you know, if you're looking at that pantheon of like, you know, him and Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis, you know, like those kind of group, like, uh, and Grant Morrison, you know, um, Garth's got the biggest heart, I think. Well, I think Garth's like, you know, it just, he's so humane, uh, underneath, uh, everything that's going on. His books like Preacher, you, I think superficially you can look at Preacher and be like, oh, it's just, you know, about attacking gods and taking down religion or whatever, but, realistically it is but it's also like these characters are so so great and the 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 warmth and tenderness is so apparent and um i love how he balances those things um you know in that as well uh, alan moore is a huge inspiration you know i love you know something that like i think is part of you know what i've always tried to do with comics you know is something that alan i think always tried to do as well like i just want to be ambitious you know I, I, i'm not saying I'm anything like Alan, or I'm not anything close to him, but there's also, there's also just this sense of, like, you know, I really want to swing for the fences and be big with everything I do, um, uh, you know, and I think, you know, the stuff I've done, maybe I don't always, you know, hit the, you know, uh, the target, the really uh, aspirational target that I set for myself, but I always want to set that target very, very high. Um, and just, you know, never kind of settle for just, um, doing something ordinary. That's why every book I feel like I do is different from the one before it because I, I always want to challenge myself and do something really bold with each time out. And, um, you know, I think Alan, uh, Alan did that tremendously. Um, so yeah, those are two guys that really, um, have been a lot to me and still mean a lot to me now. Well, sure. And like aim for the fences kind of thing. And like, like you said, you want to try to knock it out of the park every time. So that's, that's the whole goal. And that's awesome. I mean, all those guys, and like you said, the humanity that he brings, like within preacher, it, it is, it's, it is there. And I'll give you, you have to, as reader wise, if you only see two or three issues or a little bit of it, it'd be easy to miss just because it's so chaotic. And that's awesome. But you're right. The humanity underneath is like what he really brings out in that. And I think yeah, that's awesome for sure. For sure. Nathan, anybody inspires you, amigo? Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, obviously, again, starting the first time I saw Frazetta, like that, his Lord of the Rings prints, those still hang on my wall right now. 
Um, but, you know, like, more contemporary right now, I've, I've always in love with Sean Murphy's stuff. Like, everything he does, I buy. Like, I, I just can't get enough of that line work. And please forgive me if I'm butchering this name. Toshini? Is that the artist on low? With Rick, with Rick Remender? Oh, uh, you know, I couldn't tell you how to pronounce it correctly, but that sounds right to me. I think it's Toshini. I apologize a million times if, this, if I'm mispronouncing it. Um... Yeah, those, those two right now, I always, anything they touch, I'll buy it and, um, try and learn from it, you know, push, push me to get better. Um, Jen Bartel, who, you know, I come to know through the, through the, uh, through the conventions, she's fantastic. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, the few that I, I could go on for days. I mean, just, <laughs> sure. I, my, my, I spend, I spend about $100 a Wednesday, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like, like, like Michael said earlier, there's so many different things in the industry happening that are awesome that, yeah, it's, it, it's hard not to because there's just so much stuff that's good. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, and they're, they're good for different reasons and like, it's, there's so many styles now and there's so many different genres. It's just amazing where, where this industry has gone and like where I hope it keeps going, you know? Right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Berserk. As far as the series, I don't know what all you guys can give me. I mean, issue one hasn't dropped yet, and uh, we already know issue one has gone to second printing order-wise, which is awesome. So yeah, far, yeah, we're thrilled. So as far as like pre-sales are concerned, I mean, that's great. Uh, I mean, I got to read the preview that you guys sent over, which was fantastic. Um, so I mean, a big fan. Like, I love. I love everything about it, to be honest. I mean, Nathan, your your artwork in there is fantastic, man. It's so good. And, like, writing-wise, writing it's, it's super fun. And, like, Michael, like I'll be honest, occasions when I read books that are, like, supposed to be set, what appears to be in a uh, olden time, when dialogue doesn't fit old time, I, sometimes it bugs me, but this thing is flawless, dude. It's so, it's just funny and witty. I love it. Great. Um... I don't. I don't know what all you guys can give us. Give me a short. Give me the short pitch on the, uh, on the barbaric. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. You know. Uh, uh, I really appreciate the kind words. Um, so barbaric. Um, and they maybe they can crack me through or, or do it better. He'll, he'll get the second. You know, second staff and do it better. <laughs> but uh, uh, barbaric is the story of uh, Owen the barbarian, who. Uh, like a barbarian, like any other, likes to drink, likes to fool around with women, likes violence. Um, and he's living a, his best barbaric life when he's uh, suddenly cursed, and his curse is that he always has to do the right thing, which is, you know, the the worst thing, possible thing that a barbaric can possibly be saddled with uh, is always having to be having a weird, you know, morality staple to their life. Um, his morality is delivered to him by acts. Literally, his axe, who's named his axe, um, was a bloodthirsty uh, being who not only is Owen's moral guide, but he also craves blood, like I said. And when he gets too much blood, he gets drunk on blood, and then his moral compass gets a little questionable. Uh, so <laughs> so Owen and Owen and Axe go around the, the, the fantasy realm, uh, getting into adventures and trouble and quests, even though, 
you know, uh, Owen wants to do none of those things because he always has to do it for righteous ends and it sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you put those, put all those things together and, and that's barbaric. It's, 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 it's just big and loud and we want to be funny and crass and just have some fun, you know, go big and try to do something that, uh, uh Nate and I, in many conversations, like comics just don't do stuff like this anymore. So let's, let's grab some people by lapels and give them a shake. Oh heck yeah! As far as a a thing like it's fun and like, I mean like you said brutal and like acts his whole I don't know drunk I, the drunken blood or blood for vengeance is so fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, like we always like you know something I've talked about before. Like I like putting I like juxtapositions. You know, like making like you know the very thing that like he needs to do. Like as the moral adjudicator, like he's like yeah, we have to go kill people. But the more he kills people and is executing what is his role, his role gets like very, uh, questionable. <laughs> so like, um, you know, then, then like, you know, oh, and his barbarian must be good. You know, same thing with Wasted Space where, you know, Billy Bane, the main character is a, a irredeemable person who's trying to be redeemed. You know, like I like putting like things against each other. That's where you get drama and conflict and humor and, and pathos and stuff like that. And, you know, barbaric's got a lot of that stuff. Well, sure. The way you guys have it built, at least from what I understand, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So the way I understand it is that they're built to work in like shorter arcs. So kind of like uh, what Hellboy used to do with its format, where you get five issues to make a story, and then the next series is another five issues to make a story. Even though it builds on itself, they're designed to move in like a a smaller sequence of books. Is that right? I, I, think, that, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we're aiming for. So like. Keep this thing going on the, the long haul in uh, short, digestible bites. Sure. Well, the way I understand it, the first one is it is it, I think I remember reading the email right that it's three issues. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, three, and they're all big. Um, I believe they're all at least thirty pages. I think. Um, so they're all definitely oversized comics. Like I said, I got to read through all the, the digital issues I set over. And, uh, yeah, they, as far as bang for your buck, they are fantastic. Like, there's a lot of material in there. And uh, as far as things, like I said, it, it's really fun. So I dig it a lot. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I, I think, you know, with this, you know, Mike and I were actually working on another project before this. Um, and, you know, as we all know, 2020 kind of got turned on its head and became this weird year we'd all like to forget. And, uh, you know, in the process of working on another book, you know, Mike and I were like, Look at each other like, we just need to have fun. I need to have fun. I, I need to do something fun because my, my day to day is not, you know, isn't, isn't fun right now. So I think, you know, a lot of where the joy and story of this came from was just like Mike and I just having fun, like telling a story and like not trying to build something too crazy of a, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't want to build the next Star Wars, you know what I mean? We didn't want to build the whole universe <laughs> thing. It was like, no, let's, let's have some fun and, you know, let's, let's find some cool characters to, to tell a story about, you know, and. Sure, yeah, man. That's, I mean, as far as books, they should be fun too. Don't get me wrong, Epic is great, but fun is awesome. <laughs> well, and I, you know, what's, what's always drawn me to Mike's writing, and I don't, I don't think I've ever told you this, Mike, but, you know, here you are, you're ready to blush. But no, I, I think the thing that Mike's great at is, Gives you the medicine you need, but like in a fun, like he gives you the medicine, but he, but he wraps it in sugar so it goes down easy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I need to hear that, but I didn't want to hear it until, you know, until he wrapped it in sugar and it was fun and it went down great. And I, and I learned something from this book, actually. Oh, 
<laughs> well, thanks, man. Thanks. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's something I always like, you know, always try to like aim to, you know what I mean? I think Barbaric, you know, despite all the madness has like something about it, you know, like there's uh, something's going on a little bit deeper level, but like, I don't know, man, I think I've learned and we've talked about this, like we live in an age where, you know, people are, are screaming at each other all day long about how to be, you know, you know, these, these this like kind of moral, uh, uh, carnival barkers that, that exist. In, in our time, you know, on you know social media and whatnot, and then you then you read comics and it's more moral carnival barking, you know. That's like, and I don't mind. I'm not saying I'm not making the argument. That people say like, keep your politics out of my comics. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, they've always been there, and, and they always should be there in fiction. That's the, that's kind of the point. Not necessarily you know politics, but philosophy or culture or whatever. Sure, le- um, learning tools. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't be so obvious about it. You know, it's just it's just like some of the comics I read. It's like, man, sometimes. You know, you know, sledgehammers. You know, like like they say, you know, when the whole when all you've got is a hammer, the whole world's a nail. You know, and um, um, I feel like that. You know, there's just not much surgical uh, surgical approaches to getting those points across, uh, or or like Nate said, like God forbid, making it fun. Um, so that's I think that's where I kind of find my my niche, and that's what I like to do. You know, that's what I grew up on. Like Vonnegut is the most deeply philosophical person. Um, that I've ever read. Monica, it's fucking hilarious, <laughs> you know? Um, so why not? Heck yeah, man. Like, like I was saying, like, it's a, it's a really fun read. And like, book wise, I totally about it. I think it's awesome that it's getting the attention that it is. Cause that's, it's, it's really fun. I mean, I've got a lot of dudes in our shop that are like, Oh, have you heard about this book? I'm like, let me tell you something. <laughs> because it's, it, yeah, it's great. So I, I, nice. I, I really wish you a lot of success with it. It's fantastic. Um, as far as like other stuff, I mean, I do have one other question. This is going to dig back a little bit, Michael, and it's not exactly on topic, but as far as the thing. So hoax hunters. Yeah. I, I want to know where murder came from. Like I, where did that idea come from, man? So that was mainly, uh, so I was running out with, um, with uh, Steve Seeley, um, who's the, my writing partner on that, uh, one of the greatest people around, and he had this like kind of concept of like, and I can't remember the exacts now. Um, sure, was, well, it's gosh, been it's been a minute. It's been a while, yeah. Uh, it's funny if all, of all my books that I've done, um, and I've done, luckily I've done quite a few. Hoax Center is one that I people ask me about all the time, I, about easily. Uh, and I find it so, uh, cool, uh, but unexpected. Um, so, so anyway, uh, so we had this concept, like, you know, an astronaut, you know, made of crows and, you know, it's called murder because that's, you know, murder of crows. And I think that's where it's, I'm pretty certain that's where it started. And I was like, oh shit, that's pretty cool. And like, we kind of uh, built the story around it. That was actually the initial hoax on our story was like the murder origin story. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, I think Steve also maybe like drew a like he's also a painter, uh, and then he painted murder as well, and it just kind of came to life. We had to, we we did that in like a really short amount of time, so like uh, murders happened really really fast and became this iconic thing that uh, you know I've seen multiple tattoos of murder and uh, just he's just he just managed to to survive, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Heck yeah, well is, as a thing. I mean, yeah, it was one of the, I don't know, I guess with that, that, that whole series, he was just such an odd character and really cool that, I don't know, it just, re- it just stuck with me. Uh, I always wondered, I'm like, man, I wonder where that idea came from, because it's just so, it's so cool, but crazy. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, you know, Steve, Steve, who, uh, you know, that's t- Tim and Tim Seeley, you know, like, you know, 
um, you know, one of my best friends. Um, and Tim, uh, is also a great writer with a, with a tremendous imagination. Um, and they're, they're similar in that way. And Steve just is able to, I don't know, he just has this really unique imagination. He's a really creative guy. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that he just, I don't know, he has the ability to casually do. So it's sort of like, sort of like Tim as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I appreciate you talking about it. That's awesome. Um, earlier, you, you mentioned you had a film coming out. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's announced. We don't have a, I, we haven't announced many details yet, but yeah, the movie's called Revealer. Um, it's a indie horror movie, uh, that actually, speaking of Sealy's, uh, Tim, uh, and I wrote it together on uh, our friend, uh, Luke Boyce, uh, who's a uh, Emmy award winning director, um, directed it. Um, as all of our first feature film. And, um, yeah, it, it takes place in the 1980s, uh, right in the heart of satanic panic. And it's about, uh, two women, two very different women who get trapped, uh, in a peep show booth, um, as the, as the demonic apocalypse, all, all the fears of the 80s satanic panic comes true. And the apocalypse happening outside, these two women have to figure out a way to, um, to survive. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, as as a thing that that time frame, I don't know, 80 stuff is popular right now anyway. So I mean that that makes sense, but as far as like a thing being a, an indie movie, I don't know, I dig that idea and the whole like survive the apocalypse idea is really cool. That's I mean that's awesome, man. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, we had, we had a time I like making it. I was on set, you know, quite a bit. Um so I was fortunate to be part of it. I love doing it. Everybody Great people, the actresses and actors in it, um, uh, Shana, Cato, Bishop, you know, they're just a great cast, really talented, really fun. Um, yeah, we had a blast and yeah, we'll be hearing a lot about it soon. And we, we, we have our, uh, you know, release. I think they're going to be talking about it soon, but it's, uh, yeah, it looks like this year and, uh, we're going to have some fun supporting that and getting out there. I think people are going to enjoy it. It's a fun movie. It's definitely, you know, like if you like Tim's work and my work, like Money Shot and Hackslash and Barbaric and stuff like that, that's, You'll enjoy this. It's, it's fun. You know, they do a little touring around. It's going to make the festival circus, you know, then then go on a streamer. I mean, this isn't something that's going to get a wide release. It's, it's now, it's almost impossible now because the, the cinemas are going to be clogged for at least a year because of everything that was backlogged. Um, so movie theaters are going to be once, you know, more and more as it overwhelmed and you're there, you're getting it from both sides because they're, they're limiting their showings uh, because they're not open as long. Um, and, and they have more movies coming than ever because all of those movies, so many movies are backlogged from 14, 16 months are all going to be coming out in the next year plus whatever was, you know, beyond that. So, so cinemas are going to be caught for a while, which is fine. But yeah, I mean, we are, I think we want to play it in certain theaters and have, you know, just have some small fun showings and, you know, have some fun. I think that'd be really cool. Fantastic. We'll have to look for that. That's awesome, man. I look look Thank forward you. to learning more about it. That's awesome. So, uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, gosh. You know, I'll be honest, um, karaoke terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what, I don't know. I've never really done it. I don't know what, I, I don't even know what I do. I love music, you know, don't get me wrong, but like, the idea of uh, singing publicly, uh, my go-to is to go to the corner and. <laughs> you know what? I find the situation like uh, if you find a sing-along type song for the situation that it uh, that tends to help if you if you're ever forced to just uh, you know piece of advice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, Nathan. Do you got one? All right. 
Yeah, uh, easy. Uh, Wonderwall. Wonderwall. Oh, man, okay. Everyone loves it. The guy can't sing, so you don't have to be able to sing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's all about carrying the tune. It's so super easy. So that that's my go-to because like no matter how many beers in you are, you can still get you can still belt it out. Very true, and another one that people can sing along to also. Yep, yep. Everyone's heard it. Everyone likes it. <laughs> right. No, that's good. It's a good. It's a good call. Good. Good one. If you were stranded on a deserted island. And you only take five items with you. What five items would you take? Oh man, um, you know I would take. I would need something. Ah uh, man, I would need something that has like a like like an iPad that has a robust you know film and book you know film book and comic library on it. Oh for sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would need, I would need that. Um, I would need. Now, are we talking like? Let's say, I guess food's not a, food's not a thing. I, I, um, you know, cause obviously you can go, you can go nuts with that, but yeah, I would bring, I bring my, I bring some DVDs and books and, you know, movies on an iPad, uh, bring something comfortable to, to chill. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I would bring, let's see, I'd probably bring a board game, you know, to, to, to have some fun with horror. I have this game, Horrifier, you can play as one player. So if it's just me, at least I can play just by myself, you know, keep me occupied for a little bit. Uh, obviously, uh, a, a volleyball so I can make me a little Wilson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, what else would I bring? I don't know about that. I think I'm a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. I think I would just need the four things, you know, and that, that'll keep me, keep me busy for at least a while. Well, I mean, you're playing for friends. That's good too. And you get the board game. And, no, no, that's good stuff, man. Um, for me, I think I'd go. First and foremost, I need a basketball and a basketball hoop. Like that, that I can't get through a day without playing basketball. So that's first and foremost for me. Um, yes, basketball, basketball hoop. I guess that's two items. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go like a good movie selection. Like I don't know, a couple of my like I don't know, the Matrix trilogy or something like that. It's like a good trilogy of movies that I can watch over and over again. Um, my Xbox with Halo. I think that's. Five. I mean, yeah, I if, five. if we break them down separately, then that works all good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then <laughs> if I had to, if I could bring something else, then it'd probably be my dog, and then I'm good. Heck yeah, yeah, yeah. Companionship also. See, you both got the companion thing going on, which is awesome. Something a lot of people don't think about too much. So I got one more. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Man. I mean, yeah, right. I mean. Everyone will love you. You just break off a piece of the pony and, you know, <laughs> be thrilled. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I surprisingly, I don't like chocolate, so I'd be fine riding it because I'd never be tempted to eat it because I don't like chocolate. <laughs> I know, that's good. Well, I mean, being it's Fantasyland, I guess it could be any flavor at all, but chocolate, generally speaking, would be the, the flavor of, of, of the horse. The only question I really have would be whether you'd be worried about it getting hot and melting. But I mean, it's Fantasyland, so you never know, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Hopefully it's hopefully it's a, it's a you know, mild Fantasyland. <laughs> well, I mean, thanks for talking with us, guys. Do you have anything else that you would you like to give us or talk to us about or pitch to us? No, I just, I, you know, personally, like, I, you know, first of all, thank you for taking the time for having us. And we're just really excited about, you know, Barbaric. We're, we're glad it's been so successful. Appreciate, you know, retailers, readers, everyone's support that they've, you know, given, given this book. Uh, we think it's something special. We've thought that for a while and I'm just glad to see 
you know, people uh, picking up on the same thing and joining us just, just to have some fun. You know, we've had, you know, we've had a year. We've had a, <laughs> more than a year. It's, let's, let's just, let's, you know, have some fun, you know. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, just to have some, you know, guilt-free, good time with, bar, you know, barbaric is, is, is violent and sexy and cool, and let's just, let's just do it forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I... I I, I agree completely. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful to everyone that has pre-ordered it and, you know, supported us. And, you know, we're, we're already working on number two, you know, the second arc. So, you know, there, there's definitely more coming. Yep. Well, heck yeah. I'm super excited to hear that too. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the plan. I mean, look, I mean, Nate and I have not been shy. Uh, we, we want to do this forever. You know, it won't come out because of both of our schedules, you know, particularly Nate's got so, you know, art is, Far more time consuming than, than writing. Everyone knows that. But, um, our, our, our plan is, you know, as long as people are, you know, reading it, we're going to keep doing it. We'll do that. We'll do our, you know, uh, book a year, you know, which I think is reasonable. Um, and it'll always be pretty fun and build this long, you know, story that goes on for a while, which is what comics are supposed to do. You know, we have two comic, too many comics that, that go too fast. Um, we want to keep this going for a long time. So if people stick with us for just, you know, just one fun, wild fantasy, Book a year, you know, we'll give you one five, one wild, fun fantasy. <laughs> yep, it's awesome. Well, I, I, thanks for taking the time to talk with us, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks for taking the time and for reaching out and all that important book. Uh, it's, it's great. It's really, really great, and uh, we we love it. We appreciate it. Right on. Well, take it easy, guys. I look forward to maybe meeting you at comic book shows in the future when they happen. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, let's do it. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah. Bye, guys. All right. Have a good night. Right on. I just want to thank Michael and, and, and uh, Nathan again for taking the time out to hang out and chit-chat a little bit, which I can't say enough how much I, I really do dig Berserk. And, like, I, I know you just listened to me gush about it a minute ago in the interview, but... As a thing, if you haven't already looked into it, I mean, it is going to the second print already. Um, so, and the second print cover is really cool. So, I would say even if you're behind the radar on it, get on it because it's great. And both those dudes are super awesome. So, yeah, I want to thank them again for the for the time. It's fantastic. Um, so, from there, we move into a... What did you learn today, Josh? We move into it now? Yeah. That's the oh. next segment. We move into, what did you, I learned that <clears throat> for some odd reason, my cat likes to mess with you That's really true. bad. Like he just, he sidles up right at the beginning of the podcast and just messes with you and you try to move him just gently and get your notes and then he bit you. Well, I mean, he's a jerk. Like right this second, he's chewing on a plastic, like a liner for an action figure because he's a jerk. He, he walked right over to it, looked at you and they started biting it. So yeah, I mean... Yeah, he did kind of want revenge at the beginning, didn't he? Yeah, he just want. You know, I do the quote sometimes. It's like some people aren't motivated by money or fame. Perhaps some people just want to watch the world burn. That's my cat. <laughs> it really is, man. I think he just wants to watch the world burn. I mean, he sat right on the Daredevil book, and I'm like, come on, dude. And he's like, no. And your notes. Bite you. But just barely enough that you could maybe see him, but like then you try to move him, and then he bites you. It's just like, no. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> what did I learn today, Josh? That's what, oh, what I, what I, what do you learn today is that bear masks are creepy. Uh, that is definitely true. Oh my gosh. A hundred, hundred percent. 
even when they're sort of cute, they're creepy. Yeah, crazy. Uh, let's see, do you got any books to watch there, Josh? So, Frank Cho has his self, like, creator own. Creator owned. Um, Fight Girls. Yep. Looks, I've been, you know, I follow him on the Instas and, like, he's been posting art for that. Uh, uh, and it looks cool. It kind of mixes, like, how he draws hot chicks, but he also likes to draw dinosaurs and sharks and other weird things. Oh, yeah. So, um, it looks really cool. It's like, was it 10 women? Four challenges and something, I don't know, like, I, there's not, like, a ton about it, but it's, like, it's pretty, it looks pretty cool, so. Yeah, it's coming out from, uh, AWA, it's the one company putting it out, and yeah, it, it does look awesome, and I, I'm definitely a fan of Frank, who's also been on the show a couple different times, so, so he's, uh, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, ten women, four challenges, one crown, so, and it's shown them fight, like, there's going up, like, you know, uh, teaser art. Like a gigantic, crazy turtle. Right. Which is weird. And like a huge, you know, like sharks. And I know one of the girls has a red hair and an eye patch. And I think she looks rad. And they all just have a number. Like pretty much the same uniform and a number. But, um. Yeah, it's supposed to be basically a gauntlet of challenges in which everyone manages to survive through it and win, uh, gets the crown. And there's a prize of some type as well, if I remember right from the right up. Yeah, the crown. I'm not sure what, what it is. Yeah, the, the few pictures that are out for it look awesome. And I mean, if you know Frank's art at all, he's, the art will be beautiful. And dinosaurs and like. Oh yeah. Like, the thing that the guys draw, the, the things that, that that dude draws best are dinosaurs, gorillas and monkeys, and then hot women. Right. Like he's, this is, has all those things because it has girls fighting dinosaurs. Like at one point there's like a, what looks like a giant, oh yeah, the sea turtle. Yeah. Yeah, it's a crazy gigantic turtle, which is awesome. But. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I did read somewhere that, like, at a certain point, he was getting the rights back to um, Liberty Meadows. Like, yeah. We've actually he, talked about this on that show. Actually, he told me that. Yeah. that's what, And so, but then I read it somewhere, too. And so, like, after he gets him back, I think he's going to finish it. Because it, it ends, like, on a cliffhanger. It does. And so, which would be cool. Because he, he is starting to, like, when he posts things, he's, like, periodically posting Liberty Meadows characters in his, like... Like cool little sketch covers that he does, right? So like he's been like post like he posted like the, like the um the pig guy, you know, like the like the scumbaggy pig guy with sunglasses, the sexist pig. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what he is. He's hilarious. Um, but anyway, so that's cool. And then the other thing, another artist that I follow, and I don't know what it's necessarily about, but I've been kind of just following him. He's been posting things. Another creator on project called um, well, you you might be able to fill me in. But um, the artist is uh, Eric Canet, like C A N E T E, and he's doing Arc Athena is the name of the book. Huh. And uh, I know that he was the artist on Chrononauts. Oh, okay. Second run of Chrononauts, probably. Yeah, second run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Sean Murphy did the first run, so yeah, he'd be the second run. Which and it was uh, what's his name as the writer on it? Uh, Mark Millar. Yeah, Mark mm-hmm. Millar. So. Also an awesome book. If you guys never get to check it out, it, there's two two different volumes. Um, it's basically Smart Bill and Ted. It, but it, that's great. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I've not seen that yet. Arcathena. Yeah, I don't know if it's done or if it's. But he, yeah, he's been kind of just posting some art and stuff from it. So that picture looks really cool. Um, but he's a cool artist. Like he. You know, like it's kind of like oh, if you like this person, you might like this person. You know, him and like I think him and. 
like I followed Scotty Young, and then Scotty Young followed this guy. So I was like, oh, check him out. But like, he's done some, he does some really cool stuff. Like on on his socials, like his Batman Beyond is like is really cool. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah, he's good. But um, I, yeah, I'm curious to see where that where that goes. But yeah, that's the that the volume two of the Chrononauts. It is. Yeah. Yeah, Chrononauts uh, came out through Image. Um, volume one, and volume two were pretty far removed release wise. Apparently, after the end of Volume One, it got some some type of deal started happening, and then I guess that must just not have come. Well, well, Netflix was part owner of that. Well, they bought all the rights to after the Corona Number One happened. Um, they they went up buying Mark Millar's the rights to anything that he puts out product wise. Uh, so at this point, they have first option on everything. Gotcha. So like book show stuff versus movie stuff. The only stuff they don't have. Is like uh, Kingsman and Wanted and Kick-Ass, which have all been movie franchises prior. So, I mean, if at some point, uh, whichever company owns the rights to those, decide to relinquish them, we could see something else happen show-wise, maybe, or maybe like a dual project. But everything else has come out since then. Uh, the deal he's got with Netflix is for anything that's connected to Malarverse, which is basically anything he puts out, you know, namesake-wise. Uh, most recently, he had Jupiter's Legacy come out, and it did not meet expectations from Netflix. Yeah, they already canceled it. Yeah. Uh, but they are still following forward with the, the Super Crooks series, which Super Crooks, I can't see it lasting more than one season anyway, but it's in the same universe. Another really cool story, basically the short take on that is that a bunch of supervillains here in uh, America having the Jupiters to deal with, Decide that since Europe has no superheroes, that they're better off overseas and relocate themselves to the U- to the UK and abroad to continue their super villainy. Um, there's also like a piece in there that's like a little bit of intrigue with a, a dirty cop type. Anyway, it, it takes place in the same universe. I, the main characters from Jupiter's Circle or Legacy didn't show up in it from what I remember. So I don't necessarily think that one begets the other as far as shows are concerned, but uh, they are sort of connected. So they're still doing that, but yeah, as far as uh, the uh, Legacy series, Jupiter's Legacy, uh, yeah, apparently did not meet numbers. So I only watched the first episode and I didn't dislike it. I got, you know, I granted I haven't been to any of the rest of it, uh, but yeah, I've heard mixed reviews on it. So apparently, whatever it was, it was not enough to keep Netflix happy. So they also spent like a lot of money on it, like a lot, a lot. So there's that. As far as other books to watch, uh, I got one that I would say Good Luck, which is a newer series from uh, Boom Comics. Miniseries also. Basically, we deal with a world where uh, two of the gods of luck reveal themselves to the world. One which is bad luck, one which is good luck. And as a result, the world is spurned chaos forward. The only ones that can save us from this chaos are the most unlucky people on the planet, which turns out to be a batch of these kids that they've been training to help uh, stop what's causing all these problems. It, pretty interesting read. I mean, I read it you want already. It's fun. Art's neat inside the book. Like, I like it. Uh, it's got a very, uh, I don't know, sci-fi, not necessarily fantasy, I guess sci-fi fantasy feel to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, so I'd say check that one out. Looks like an awesome series. Uh, another one that's getting ready to come out from uh, Vault which is called The Last Book You'll Ever Read. The write-up for that thing and the uh, few test pages that are two test scenes in the world, like art-wise, mostly cover stuff. It looks freaking great. It's basically about a cursed book. If you ever read it, it's going to lead to your death. So think like uh, 
don't know, like The Ring and... What's the one with the videotape? The horror story, the horror movie with the videotape, if you watch it, then it kills you? The Ring. Is that what it is? Okay, mm-hmm. so I was right with the name. Anyway, it looks awesome. So that's another one I'd say to try to watch for and check out. Um, again, Vault has been killing it with stuff, so I think that's great. Uh, but those would be the ones I'd offer. I also say uh, Girl Fight, the Frank Cho book, uh, just because I dig Frank a lot. So, yeah, dude, you can't go wrong with that guy. No, yeah, pencil like pencil to paper. That guy is like leaps and bounds above so many people. Like, I mean, there's a lot of great artists in the past. Ones that I love absolutely, like Matt Herrera is incredible, and you know when his run on X Men was insanely beautiful. You know, like his Battle Chasers is obviously super cool. You know, like finally supposedly he's finished coming with a different artist though, but I think he's doing covers. All mixed feelings about that stuff, yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, but he's he's brilliant, but you know, he doesn't do anything anymore, so he doesn't count. You know? Right. Um McGinnis is brilliant. Murphy. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No, there's lots there's tons of artists that are just fantastic. I mean Humberto Ramos is fantastic, you know, but there's there's a handful of guys who just are a different level and I think that like Frank Cho is just like he's you know, like there's there's not a lot of people better than him. I don't think. Maybe Alex Ross. You know, other sure. than that, he like he stands with giants. Like he's he's fantastic. Anything he does is insanely great. Right. Of all those names, the only one that hasn't been on the show would be Joe Mad and uh, Alex Ross. Because you know Joe Mad doesn't do things, and Alex is, lives in like a fortress somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's you can't know that dude. Alex down. Ross is a different a different. It's like a whole different thing. Like yeah, it just 100%. he's just a. Uh, his style, like his like watercolor um, re- realism, is just what he does is just different. It's so it's such on another like a different plane of, of everybody else. It's not comic booky. It looks real. It looks right. like photographs. Sure. And so I, you know, like nobody else does what he does, and so that's why he is where he is. But you know, that's why an Alex Ross cover is like, oh, that's sweet. That's an Alex. Like you, <laughs> right. Instantly, you know, pretty much, you know, if you've read a comic book ever, you know how Alex Ross is. Really, he's like that guy. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm excited for this book. I'm glad. I'm, I'm I'm glad to see him doing some creator stuff, own stuff again. Because you know, um, again, I I I know that there's some mud, some like murky waters when it comes to the Liberty Meadow stuff, which he did for years. And I know that that's like that he had some major issues, and so um, good to see him doing his own thing again. Sure. Right, so we had another one in the middle that went out, came out. I want. I think it's actually was from Boom, if I remember right, called Skybound, which uh, was another creator owned, more of an adventure story, but it was good too. And he did. I mean, he was doing a slew of variant covers over at uh, DC. Well, he did a couple runs on some stuff, didn't he? Well, he did uh, some of the Ultimates. Uh, oh gosh, was it Ultimates Volume Five? Oh, I can't remember which volume it was. He did some Ultimates uh, for all the the Marvel series, um, and he also was doing uh, Savage Wolverine at the beginning. He did the first, I think, first story arc. All right. So the first five, but that's been a few years ago since that stuff happened. So. Uh, but most recently, I mean, he did a batch of, uh, well, he did, a, he did a whole lot of Harley Quinn variant covers. Right. And, uh, I mean, he did a few Wonder Woman variant covers, which the world got weird for a second about that, but they were all great. So anyway, but yeah, as far as stuff, I mean, he's done plenty of other things in the world. Just as far as new series, I know he's been working on this guy for a while because I actually remember reading about it maybe two years ago. So it's good to see it's finally coming out, which is awesome. And I'm sure like, you got to pay the bills to so do the variant covers and that kind of stuff. But sure. when you work for the big guys, but then also doing your own thing on, on the side is pretty cool too. Just, yeah. Well, you got to do something to pay for that number one Spider-Man's million dollar book. God bless the guy. If you can afford it, that's awesome. Right. I mean, 
I know this isn't said as often as it should be on the show, but go to Top 5 Comics in Grand Junction, Colorado, who's Come. basically the point of this podcast. Like, that's where you can get your books. It's at the corner of First and Orchard. So go there. Go see CBS. Go talk to him about books. He likes to tell, talk about things. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there that's really cool. Action figures. There's stuff in boxes probably somewhere that um, people have ordered from him, like me, that he... It's there somewhere. Like my my white white oh man you're talking my poor about white one ranger thing, one thing my poor lonely white ranger hidden in the box somewhere sad all along I know I know there's a whole stack of you talking jumbo comics for you yeah yeah <laughs> did you see that speaking of Usagi did you see that he did a variant cover for that Garfield book yes sir I did uh, issue one Garfield Homecoming which actually just came out I think last week um, it's a mini series uh, but yeah it's, yeah he did a variant cover of of course. Uh, Something that I wasn't aware of until it was too late, so. It's still cool. I mean. It does look awesome. It's a rad cover. Heck yeah. Oh, well, I guess that's it, Josh. Taki? Uh, well, before that, like, just, if, if you guys are keeping your eyes open, there, there's supposed to be a, n- a new mass release of a bunch of G.I. Joes that we've complained about on here before that were, like, really insanely hard to find. And Haswell's re-releasing some stuff, so, like, keep your eyes open for those. And don't hoard them because they're gonna keep making them, but, like, we've been able to find Major Blood in the wild, which is cool. Well, you were, I've seen one too. Um, you know, Flint and Lady J, Cobra Commander, like he's been, like you've been able to actually start to see things on the shelves, which is awesome. But I mean, other than that, like they're supposed to reissue the Baroness and the Firefly and the Cobra Viper and the Cobra Trooper and Beachhead at some point. Or I mean, I know I've seen that like Canada Toys R Us is like are getting, they have like millions of them, so they're they exist. That's crazy. Like tons of them. They're like showing shelves of the Toys R Us in, in Canada and there's like 50 on the shelf of the Baroness. Oh my gosh. And they were going for $300 a pop at one point on eBay. And now people are like, can I trade this trade across for something? It's just like, it's so ridiculous that they got so crazy like that. And I'm glad that they're redoing them because I really like the Baroness. I'd love to have one. Sure. You know, but like, as far as scalper stuff goes, it's kind of lame, but. Yeah, it's out of control. And other like, in other like things to watch, like that Bad Batch show, the Star Wars Bad Batch, if you're not watching that, check that out. It's really good. Been really enjoying it, right? Man, Loki is fantastic as well. So Very there's true. there's just so much content out there right now. Like if you know if, if people say that they're bored, then they're not trying hard enough. Because <laughs> right. there's so many good books coming out. There's so many good like comic book ba- themed like shows. I mean, there's just so much out there. So you know, go out there and invest in something. Go do something like buy a comic book or you know pay for a live stream from a band. There's like just a lot of cool things going on right now. People just like working their butts off. So. Right. To support independent stuff. Heck yeah. Or just comics in general. Like, the printed, the printed thing is like, this is something special about it. It's just like vinyl. Like, it's just something special about it. Being able to hold it in your hand and the warmth and the, you know, the smell, the touch. Like, that just, yeah, digital things are, are becoming a thing, but it's just, it's not the same. So. Right. So that's why they need to go see you at Top 5 Comics. That's First very in true. In Grand Junction, Colorado. Come buy some stuff, folks. Yeah. Um, anyway, as far as, uh, stuff, that's all I really got. Uh, Josh, social medias? Um, Wendell24 on Instagram. All right. Uh, I'm at uh, Top 5 Comics CBS, where I post drawing stuff and uh, pictures of Comic-Cons when they happen. So I've been doing just a lot of my photography stuff. Right. I'm posting like, some edited photos of just random things, but um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to stay off of that stuff. It's poison. Sure. Poison's the brain. Right. Uh, you can find other stuff for us if you don't already know. Top5comicspodcast.com has links to all the shows that us and our buddies are connected to. So, Hot Sauce Reviews, Action Figure Deconstructions, uh, uh, Never Been Done Podcast, 
Hammond 2050 game walkthroughs. So there's links to everything on there. You can go through and look at, there's also a batch of pictures too if you want to see pictures. So check out the website. Go to Top 5 Comics in Grand Junction, Colorado. Like, that's where you can get your books. It's at the corner of First and Orchard. So go there. Go see CBS. Go talk to him about books. He likes to tell, talk about things. I mean, I do tell stories, so, you know, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, Taki? No. Come on, man. No. You get me that white ranger, then I'll say it. I think they're a closet. 